Today's Rob Has a Podcast is sponsored in part by our patrons, whom I love more than survivors seem to love saying the word chaos. To find out more about the benefits of becoming a Rob Has a Podcast patron, visit robhasawebsite.com slash patron. Coming to you live from my apartment, it's Rob Has a Podcast. And now, here's a guy whose wife disagrees that the world's most selfish beast is the college-age male, Rob Sesternino. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to what is going to be a huge, huge uh, I needed this edition of Rob Has a Podcast. I am Rob Sesternino. And you are locked in for what should be a fantastic recap of another fantastic episode of Survivor Kageon here as we talk about episode number 10. And we're going to be joined today by a great friend of mine and a great friend of Rob Has a Podcast, the winner and reigning champion of Survivor, who will hand over that title of reigning champion of Survivor. He doesn't have to give back the money. Tyson Apostle returns to the podcast, not just to talk about the episode, but also to answer your questions and take your voicemail. So Tyson's going to be with us the whole show today. So this is going to be a very, very fun episode that I'm very excited about. This morning, I had the opportunity to speak with Jeffra, and I thought she did very well in her exit interview, which you can also check out on robhasawebsite.com. And then as a bonus, because I didn't think we were going to have enough time to fit it in in this podcast, I spoke with Jordan Kalish, and we went through this week in Survivor history. So there's basically like an added extra half hour of podcast for you on the Jeffra exit interview. If you want to check that out, all of those things are on robhaswebsite.com. And of course, you know, Wednesday night, Stephen Fishback and I always get together and we talk about everything that happened in the episode on Survivor Know-It-All. So this is going to be a fun, fun show. Of course, I love hearing from you guys in the comments and I love hearing all the feedback that you guys think about everything that we do on Rob Has a Podcast because it's not nearly as fun without your participation. So I hope you guys will let us know as usual what you think about this show, good or bad. We still love to hear it in the comments and on Twitter because even if you didn't like the show, at least I know you listen. So it makes me happy in that way. All right, everybody, and here's what you've been waiting for. Here he is, and this is his God knows how manyth appearance on Rob Has a Podcast. He is the reigning Survivor champion, three-time player. Here he is back on Rob Has a Podcast, Mr. Tyson Apostle. Tyson, how are you? I'm great. You forgot to mention I was a Mr. Survivor finalist. Mr. Survivor well. finalist, yes, and... um so congratulations again on being such a great representative of Survivor and Rob has a podcast. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, first off, Tyson, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm doing the same as I've always been. Right? I guess so. I guess right, you, you've always been doing great. I know you've been traveling so much. Where'd you go? Hawaii uh, a couple yeah, of weeks ago? I, yeah, I went to Hawaii like a month ago. I went to Palm Springs, which isn't as exotic, but it was still pretty cool. I'd never been there before. And uh, then I actually went out to New York to uh, visit Stephen Fishback. 
Yeah, and how and how was that? It was great. Uh, Stephen's a lovely host. We stayed with Stephen, Rachel and I did. And uh, Stephen and I have become uh, pretty close friends throughout the years uh, since Token Chain, which is interesting because, or maybe it's not interesting at all, but we've got to fill three hours here, Rob, so it's like we just have to talk. Yeah. So anyways, I, I only spend a short time with Stephen in Survivor Token Chain before they blindsided me. But after the show, as it was airing and stuff, and Stephen and I were talking, and and uh, it seems like we had similar senses of humor and kind of a similar mindset, and we're the same exact age pretty much, and, and so things just started to click for us. And uh, I I think we both for a time questioned our uh, our heterosexuality <laughs> for each but, other. Uh, for, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, no, I don't know that it got back to it, but Stephen and I are, are good friends. And uh, and so any chance I get to spend time with Stephen is, is bonus for me. Yes, well, I, I could certainly get that. Stephen is Stephen is a lot of fun. And so and you have to see all of well, the... about me? You're I'm fun too, Rob. You're, you're fun too. So I, it totally makes sense. I totally get that. Good. Yeah. Okay, let's get into, speaking of fun, let's talk about this crazy, crazy season of Survivor that we have last night. And I really thought it was going to start to get boring now that once once the group of five got into power and then I felt like, okay, well, we're going to probably have this group went down to five, but not when Tony's around. And so last night... Tony decides that he's going to go against the group of five and him and Wu are going to jump over and go with Spencer and Tasha. And Tyson, what I would like to know from you is, did you like this move? Um, no. I, I mean, you put yourself in Tony's shoes and I've actually been in a very similar position uh, when we voted Zetas out, he came to me and he's like, when I'm gone, the women are going to outnumber the men by like five, I think it's going to be five to four. And it was something I was already conscious of. It wasn't something that I, I was blinded to. And it is interesting because you, you have to look at every possible scenario that the alliances can break up. And gender is definitely a very distinguishing characteristic between all the people on the tribe. And so it's, it's, you have to look at it, but what you're not seeing is each interpersonal relationship. And because there's people out there that just hate each other's guts and absolutely won't work with each other. And that was the case with Tina and Monica on my season. And so we don't know what's going on there. Um, I feel like what Tony should have done is keep his alliance intact and turned everybody more against Spencer. So as Spencer said these things to Tony, I think Tony should have gone to the women in his alliance and said, hey, look, Spencer said that Jeff Rowe was going to turn on me, and he said that uh, you guys had an all-women thing going on, and I know he's just trying to stir things up, but, you know, we got to get him out of here because he's, uh, he's throwing you guys under the bus. Because that's, that's how you control the game. Like, he, he wasn't controlling the game right there. He was being controlled. 
I think it's a very interesting comparison to compare you and Tony from especially you last season to Tony this season, because I was trying to make the comparison in my mind of what this would have been like for Tony to go ahead and work with Spencer after Spencer is sort of starting to plant these seeds. And I think it kind of would have been like if you would have gone with like Hayden and Caleb, putting them in the Tasha and Spencer mold and then voted out like Monica and Sierra basically to go with those two guys. And I feel like that would have been the wrong move for you. And I feel like by proxy, I feel like this was not the right decision for Tony. Yeah, I don't think so. The, the other thing you always have to, you, you want to stir up as little as possible. So if you're turning on somebody, you don't want to have to turn on five people. You want to turn on two people so that one gets voted out and then there's one person pissed. You don't want to, uh, you know, like you always want to minimize the damage. And by Tony not telling Cass and Trish what was going on, you know, that's, two surprised people that are upset and everybody's already seen that Tony's flip flops before. So his words, his word means next to nothing now. And so I think, I, I think it was the wrong move, but I can understand where Tony's coming from because you do, you, there's paranoia in the game and you watch everybody and you think, okay, those people are spending a lot of time together. Are they together? And, uh, so it's, it's just one of those things, but in the end, I think he should have chosen who he wanted to go home, which should have been Spencer because Spencer's the biggest threat now. And he should have pitted everybody against Spencer. It would have been so easy for Tony to go to his alliance and say, Hey, Spencer's throwing everybody under the bus here. He could have made up lies. He's made up lies all season about, about people, uh, wanting other people out. So it wouldn't have been hard for him to go to the women and say, Hey, Spencer told me that he's fine with any of you girls going as long as it's not him. And he actually told me that all of you are trying to get me out. So now you have played the game with having an immunity idol. Tony actually has two hidden immunity idols, one of them being the super Tyler Perry powered idol. Do you think that that sh- should that have given Tony more security to stand pat or do you feel like he felt like he was untouchable so he could make this crazy move? I think with the idol that Tony has he needs to choose who he wants to be in the finals with and that's the direction he needs to go because he's honestly if I were Tony at this moment I would have pulled out the instructions to the secret immunity idol and led them to the tribe. Because you're getting down to the numbers where nobody's going to want to throw away a vote knowing it's going to be thrown away. For the super idol. Tony's direction. For the super idol. The Tyler Perry idol. The instructions for the super idol, for the super idol that says you can play it after the votes are read and then choose the two people that you want to go to the finals with and run it. I think it's a mistake for him to keep that secret. And maybe he, maybe people know he has it. Maybe he already has done something like that, but the idol is too much power this late in the game. That's, I mean, it's how you are one. And, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I, I think, I don't think this idol is necessarily a bad thing earlier in the season, but when it's down to this many people, it's such a large advantage. And I, I really think that, if Tony were to let it be known that he had this idol, he could easily lock two people in and he could lock any two people in that he wanted to go to the finals with. 
Well, what would you do if you were in the position of one of the other players and then you found out that Tony had this idol? Is there any way you could just sort of like nibble around it and just not worry about Tony until he's vulnerable again? That's what you have to do. I don't think there's any way Tony's going home before four. Yeah. There's no way. There's absolutely no way that I can, I can, it's, especially, you know, he's shown people that he has an idol and I really think if he were to say that he had this other idol, that there's nothing you could, you couldn't make a move against him until four. And so, uh, it's, it's just, it's, you think, okay, well, what if these people, if they find out and they're like, okay, let's throw a boat away. But then all it is, is Tony choosing who goes home. Cause I don't think they have the numbers now that they can split unless they're all absolutely unified except for Tony and the victim that they're splitting on. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Tony's going to be able to rally one or two people with him. And that's going to be more than enough to, to turn the tide with an idol. Where is the line for people who were able to, you know, be seen as the person voting people out like you were and be able to get, what'd you get seven votes or eight votes? I got, Eight out of nine, I think. Eight out of nine. Or seven out of eight. Okay. Whatever. Uh, It was a lot of votes. Now, how do you know if you're Tony, if you are, hey, am I getting a lot of these votes like Tyson, like a Boston Rob, like a Kim Spradlin, or am I being seen as a Russell or as a coach out here where I may have been in charge of making a lot of these moves, but there's going to be somebody else that's sitting next to me that the jury is going to see as somebody that they could give the money to instead? I, you know, it's hard to say with Tony, but I think that there's a line where all of your plays have to make sense to everybody on the jury. And I think that that's kind of where this flip-flopping with, with Tony coming, I think it's, I think it's going to bite him in the ass if he's in the final, because he didn't necessarily need to get rid of Jeffrey at that moment. And I think a lot of people are saying, why didn't you get rid of Spencer then when you had the chance? Because Spencer's the biggest threat. And I think uh, flipping on your alliance like that is really dangerous. The thing that was fortunate in my gameplay was everybody recognized that I was a threat and everybody had discussions about getting me out. So by the time I got them out, they it was already like, well, you were talking about getting me out and I just got you first. And they all understood that. So the, it doesn't sting as bad knowing that you were going against somebody. It's when you have people that are all in with you and then you turn on them. So like LJ and Tony, LJ's gotta be pissed, you know, cause LJ was all in with Tony. He wasn't, he wasn't going to flip on Tony. He didn't have discussions about voting Tony out. And then all of a sudden he's blindsided. That hurts worse. I think than someone who, who say is talking about getting rid of Tony and then gets got, I mean, from Jasper's point of view, you can see it. I guess you can say that she was kind of, you know, toying with the notion of getting rid of Tony, but I think she'd come full circle enough and said, no, I'm a hundred percent with Tony now that it's still, I think it's, it's, it's moves like that, that really, really sting is when you're 100% with someone and they're not a hundred percent with you and you end up getting voted out. Yeah. So now with, so, that was well played. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, 
if we want to expound even further, it's like Rob. Rob, every season he's done well, he has someone who's super bitter at him. And that's the, it's a, it's a perfect case for that. You know, it's with Grant on the season he won and, uh, uh, the tattooed guy on the, the thing that I shouldn't, Lex. Lex, yeah. Yeah. And it's like those guys felt that they were so locked in with him. And then when he flipped on him, there was no way he was getting their vote. Well, that's really his game is that he tells everybody who's with him that they're, you know, with him to the end. And that's why people don't want to vote him out because everybody he has to deal with everybody. Yeah, well, you have to. That's how you play Survivor, especially when you get to the end there. But but there's ways to do it. You know, it's just it's all social gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And I think that Tony is kind of throwing caution to the wind and it may be because he has this extra confidence from the idol and I'm sure he's making the best moves for him in his mind. And so, you know, and to a certain degree, you just have to say, you know what, I'm here to get to day 39 because at least I can argue my case at that point. So now we're down to six people left and I feel like we have these three twosomes where we have Spencer and Tasha, Tony and Wu and then Cass and Trish are together. So what do you think that this group of six comes together to do in the next vote? Um, you know, we saw the teaser for next week, or do we not talk about those? Uh, you can talk about it. I mean, we see the teaser that everybody's getting annoyed with, with Tony's confidence and gameplay and paranoia, but him having the idol is, is there's no way that they can make a move against him. Yeah. I feel. And especially if it's out in the open like that and people are arguing with him, then he just feels like, Hey, maybe I need to play the idol more. If you want to vote someone out, out that has an idol, you make them think that everything is so okay that they leave their idol back at camp. Well, I don't think that Tony yeah. would do that at final six. Do you? No, he wouldn't do that, but that's, what you're shooting for. You want, you don't want to tell Tony, Hey, I'm annoyed with you. And I, you know, like we saw Cass and Tony arguing and, and Tony's like, well, then vote for me. You know, it's not a, that's not the way you vote someone who has an idol out. The problem is even if everybody else in the game got pissed off at Tony and every, all of other five players were like, Hey, Tony, we're drawing a line on your BS. We're tired of it, Tony. And so you're going home. And so they want to try to flush his, his main, his sh idol that he's shown them. Now they don't even know about the Tyler Perry idol, but so right. could they do anything with, see, the other five people would not have anybody else to split the vote on. So it's like if right. everybody else got together and then except for Wu, could they put two, let's say hypothetically the other four people, not Tony and Wu, were like, okay, let's do put two, 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 do two, two, and two, and then at least we flush Tony's regular idol, right? Yes. And then they could then come together and vote out woo. And I feel like that's actually not a bad play for the other four players going into next week. But that would work, right? Yeah, that would that would actually probably be the best play. Um, the only thing is, is if uh, Tony plays both idols, you know, one on woo and one on him. But I think that that if you are flushing an idol, if you're flushing Tony's idol, that has to be the play. Yeah. There's and so, no other way around it. 
So what would happen if Tony did give his idol to Wu and then had the Tyler Perry idol? And so then Wu is safe from the votes. His votes, the two votes against Wu don't count. Then the votes against Tony would not count. So then Tony and Wu, whoever they voted for, would go home, believe it or not. Right. No, I think, uh, yeah, and that's where it gets tricky. I think, (laughs) you know, with the the foursome that wants Tony out, if that's what they want, then that's their play. They have to do two-two split. And then go to a revote, and then all put their vote on whoever didn't play the idol, which is definitely going to be real. It's not going to be Tony because he can play his idol after the votes are read. Although I don't know what if it comes down to a, a split, a revote, and Tony doesn't play his idol. He can't play that Tyler Perry idol the second time after the votes are read, can he? Well, I think you can play it after the after the votes are read. So it's just so he doesn't get voted out. If I guess if it comes up, okay, Tony, bring me your torch. I think then it's sort of like the get out of jail free card. Oh, so if he's like, so if they go to a revote and Tony doesn't play his Tyler Perry idol, yeah, and they all vote Tony. He can then play as Tyler Perry Idol, and then the other person goes home. Yeah, I don't think that he can get voted out with the Tyler Perry Idol. So basically, as okay. long as he has it, he can't get voted out. Okay, then yeah, I mean it's a dangerous situation, but I don't think anybody knows how dangerous it is. Yeah. So I I would be excited to see a two 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 split. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of what was supposed to happen on Heroes Villain sure. on the night I went home, but with it being this close to the end and so many sporadic players that are going to and fro, I really think it's, it's Tony's game to lose right now. I still feel like if you showed both idols, even to just a couple of people, he doesn't even have to do it to everybody. He's going to lock two people in. Yeah. Very, very interesting to see how this is all going to unfold. Do you think that is Survivor getting too complicated? Like basically, okay, you've been on the show three times. Uh, I have been on the show twice. I talk about the show about, you know, about 10 hours a week conservatively. I've got like paper in front of me trying to figure out what's going on and, and what, how this would work. Does the average person who's at home who thinks about Survivor maybe the hour a week that it's on and who's eating like a pizza and like texting during the show, do they have any clue what, or would be able to understand at all what would happen if there was this sort of 2-2-2 vote split and this person has this idol, this person has another idol? Yeah, I think to a certain degree. I think uh, it's it's when a new it's when a new uh, a new twist is introduced that nobody's really familiar with until we see until we see it played out. So, for example, I'm still unsure as if, of if Tony can play it after a revote if he needs to play it the first time they vote when it's all tied up or you know, and that's one of those things that it makes sense that it's just, you know, as your torch is getting snuffed, you're like, nope, I actually have this. And you go back and sit down and they call someone else up. That makes perfect sense. But we didn't hear it in the rules anywhere as to whether or not that was the case. And so I think that there's just questions like that that arise. And, uh, I, but I think that, you know, the casual viewer, I think understands that if you're watching every episode, you for the most part are understanding they may not fully grasp the 
the Tyler Perry idol until they see it played. But I think at that point, it will make sense. So who do you think is in the best position now to win the game after this? I would have said coming into this week, I felt like it was Tony and Trish was two. But now where do you think that the power rankings are now? Who has the best chance to win? I think I've got to go with Spencer. You know, Spencer or even Tosh, maybe. It's, it's, they've, they haven't pissed anybody off. You know, and they've been underdogs the whole time, which is fun to watch. It would drive me nuts to be in that position and not really know what direction the game was going and just play from the bottom the entire time. Cause you just have to kind of move with, with the tides of the game and you don't really have much input as to what direction the, the game's going. And so I think they've, you know, I think you have to respect somebody who's, been the underdog the entire game and then emerges on top from the, fu- the final few episodes. But, you know, Tony, I think Tony right now has the clearest shot of getting to the finals, but I don't necessarily think that he has the clearest shot of winning. Do you think after this episode, what's Tony's next move? Do Tony and I guess Wu, do they go back to trish and to Cass and say okay look one more time i just had to vote out i just i promise i'm back with you guys now let's vote out spencer and tasha or does he go to tasha and spencer and say okay this is the new final four and now we vote out trish and we vote out Cass next and you guys will go to the end um you have to go back to trish and Cass. wow spencer and tosh are both they're both two biggest threats to win the game and you have to see that. Like, they haven't, they haven't, you know, they haven't been the cause of anyone's ouster directly. And so, you really, you have to go back to Trish and Cass. I think they're, they're less likable than the other two. And they don't have the hero story that both of both Spencer and Tosh share. And so, I really think that you have to. You have to go back to Trish and Cass. But if you're Trish and Cass, I mean, can't you say, okay, all right, that's fine, Tony. Fool me once. Okay, I I can look past it. When he burns them for the second time now in the last three votes, how could they go back with him? And why wouldn't they just go to Spencer and Tasha and say, okay, this is the new Final Four? For the same reasons that Tony can't go with Spencer and Tosh. Yeah, you're right. Because they, they have to assume that Spencer and Tosh's story is too good in front of the jury. You know, Tosh has won three immunities in a row, and Spencer is just the classic underdog, like from day one. And so there's, they have to stick with each other. And I even think that Wu, for the most part, is perhaps too likable as well. For the finals, I think if I think if if Cash, Trish, or Tony want a fighting chance at winning, they have to go to the finals together. Yeah, I I don't disagree I with that, that. I think you don't agree with that. No, I don't disagree with it. Oh, you don't disagree with it. I think that I think for all three of them, it's the only it's the only combination that makes sense. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm not too worried about Wu because I feel like that Wu is just going to be seen as Tony's lapdog if he's there. So I don't think he's I'm not sure who in the jury is voting for Wu. Maybe uh, he might get a vote or two, but I don't think he's a big threat to get jury votes. So if I'm Tony, it's it's a toss up and it is a toss up, but you have to, you know, you have to see from Tony's perspective, you have to say, okay, who who's so pissed at me that they're absolutely not going to vote for me. Yeah. But I think Tony could definitely lose to either Spencer or Tasha in the finals. Right. So how does that work? Then does Tony go back to Trish and say, okay, look, you need me. You need me. You can't beat them. We got to work together. Or is it Trish saying like, Hey, Tony, like get your act together here. Smarten up. You need us because you can't beat them in the finals. You got to stay with us. I think it's, uh, I mean, I would assume they both have to understand that. And so I don't think it's going to be a difficult conversation. I would, I would assume that both of them will realize that they need each other. And at that point, I really feel like Tony's best play is to expose all the idols he has at least to the people he wants to sit in the finals with mm-hmm. to lock him in. I think, you know, if they have that argument, if Tony, if Trish and uh, Cass are fed up with Tony flip-flopping and there's no other way for Tony to pull him in, you know, I, I feel like it's so logical that that's who he needs to go to the finals with, but, and that's who they need to go to the finals with. But if they're not seeing eye to eye on that for whatever reason, Tony needs to say, hey, look, here's these two idols. We're locked in. We're going to the end. Let's start taking everybody else out. The only chance that any of us have of winning is with each other. And that's, I mean, you know, I hate to go back to my season constantly, but that's how I felt with Monica and Jervis. You know, I was like, them going against me is their best shot. And me going against them is also my best shot. And whether or not that was the actual truth, that was everyone's perception in the game, not knowing what the jury was thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Now, we've talked about it from the perspective of Tony and Wu and Cass and Trish, but now if you're Spencer and Tasha coming into this week, now what is your plan going forward? How do you guys get to the end? Man, that's tough. I think that, you know, I guess I said that Spencer was one of the fa- was the favorite to win, but that really is, is tough. They have to, they have to appeal to Wu. You know, I think that Cass and Spencer obviously hate each other. So the chances of them actually really working together again, even if it's out of self-interest, I think that both of them, are too fed up with each other to really become united. And so I think that, I think Spencer and Tasha's best, you know, best gameplay would be to go to Wu and, and talk to Wu about it. If I were in Spencer or Tasha's shoes, I would probably go to spend, to, uh, to Wu and say, look, Wu, you're viewed as Tony's right hand man and people are pissed at Tony. So they're going to be even more pissed at you for helping him. And you, you won't beat him in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, but again, you know, that's, 
Drew's not going to beat those two in the finals. Yeah. I don't think. And so it's, but if he turns the game around and he's the guy that flips on Tony, maybe he has a selling point. It's just, it's so complex. And without knowing what's going on in the jury's head, you really have, it's really hard to make moves at that point. Yeah. That's like the talk. Uh, everybody tried to say to Monica, oh, you got to vote with us because then you got to make a big move and you respect us. Right. But even if they did, then he's probably the next one to get voted out. Right. Exactly. And yeah. And I think I, you know, that's, I think Spencer and Tosh have to do everything they can to, I don't think for them, it's not who do we want to go to the end with. For them, it's how do we stay alive longer? And so they just have to keep creating risks and paranoia on everyone else's part and and hope that something sticks. So are they better off to try and say, hey, Tony, we want to stick with you. Let's keep moving forward and try to spread like, hey, Tony, oh, did you hear what Trish said about you? Did you hear what Cass said about you? Did, uh, did you hear what Wu said about you? And do that, or are they better off to go to Cass and Trish and say, "You got to get Tony out because he's gonna, do, he's trying to do this. He wants to go. He told me you're next." And so, do you try to stick with them as opposed to go to stick with Tony? I think you need to, to do both. Okay. Uh, I, if you're if you're on the bottom, you have to do all of it. But is there a risk to do both? Do you have to sort of just commit to one? Because I know that you've said before that, you know, when you go, when somebody tells you something about somebody and then you can sort of say to them, hey, that person told me the same thing about you. Well, if you're real, if that's actually happening where they're saying like, hey, Tony, did you hear what Trish said about you? And hey, Trish, did you hear what Tony said about you? If they could easily cross-reference that, couldn't they? Yeah, but it's, you, if you're telling a lie to someone, you just have to tell the lie first, you know? And, and so if, if you're Spencer and, and Tosh and you're going to Tony and saying, Hey, I'm sticking with you and we're taking these guys out. And they came to us and wanted to take you out. And we said, no way. And then you go to them and say the same thing and then say it about Tony and then both of those people are grateful that you shared information about who they thought was in their alliance turning on them. And so by the time they go to cross-reference, they don't know what's truth and what's lie. And, that, and I think when you don't know what's truth and what's lie, subconsciously, or maybe even consciously, you just go with what you heard first. It makes sense that the person who came to you first would more likely be telling the truth because at that point you don't assume that they have something to cover. Okay, I'll buy that. I think I think you I think, and I tried to do that on my season, and I think that those lies work best. If you're covering yourself, you have to hit everybody with the information before they get the truth told to them. And when they have the truth told to them, you've already spun it around in a lie, and they believe you and not this other person. Are you rooting for one person in particular on this season? No, I mean, I like Spencer. I, I didn't think I was going to like him in the beginning because I think he wanted to come out and play a much different game than he's been playing. But I think him being forced to play on the bottom has, has been fun to watch. And his uh, narrative of the story is, is, is great. And I like Tony. I think 
I like players that have fun. And I think he's having fun. And I think he realizes for the most part, I mean, now that you're getting down to the, the six, the five, the four, it becomes more serious. But I think up, up to now, in his mind, he appreciates the ridiculousness of, of the game. Because there's times out there where you're just like, I can't even believe I'm doing this. This is so ridiculous. You know, everything about being on TV, being on Survivor, playing the game Survivor that you've watched on TV, there's just, you just have to pinch yourself and say, this is so ridiculous that I'm even here. And I think Tony appreciates that maybe more so than the others. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that. I like that. I think, I think when you have fun, it's, it's fun for people to watch. And, and, you know, I think the game is fun and it's fun to be out there. And whether you win or lose, it's, it, re- it really is ridiculous. And <laughs> if you can't step back and say, this is mind blowing what I'm doing out here and, that I'm in this situation and I'm turning on these people and every aspect of it you have to appreciate. And, and Tony's one of those guys. And I think from the get go, I, I liked him for that. Yeah. Tony's been a lot of fun. He's been really, really good for the show to have somebody to come out here and play, whether you think he's playing a good game or not. And I saw, uh, I saw a friend of mine, uh, Ben standing on Twitter had written last night, I have no idea after 10 episodes of Survivor if Tony is a good player or a bad player. And it really is very, very fun to talk about, and he's been fun to watch. Yeah, no, I like, I like Tony. But at, at the same time, you know, you look, at, you look at everybody that's still in the game. They got rid of Jeffra, and, I mean, the next closest non-player in the game would probably be Wu, right? Yeah, I agree. Wu, not not so much a player, but he's been, but he has had his moments. He's had, he's had a couple of fun uh, things that he's done on the show, right? You no, know, he definitely has had some fun things, and it's not. So I think at this point, you can't be disappointed with a, with with who wins of the six that are left. It's 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 probably not anyone's game. There's definitely people who have advantages, but it's it's hard to say. You know, I I would be really disappointed if this person won. I, I don't care. I would actually, I guess I would be a little disappointed if Cass won. I just think she's, she's so condescending, like with her eye rolls and the way she views people. And the fact that she dumped a buttload of money into going to school for so many years to be a lawyer makes her feel like she's better than everybody. Like I, I get that vibe from her. Whether or not that's true, that's the vibe that I, I, I am receiving. And so I think that, you know, I'd be a little bummed if she, if she won, especially with her saying, oh, I'm a lawyer. If I get to the end, I have the silver tongue enough to win this thing easy. Yeah. She seems a, li- a little bit, and I haven't, I called her cranky last night on Survivor know That's probably not the right word, but she does seem to have like some scorn towards Spencer in the, in the game. And it feels, uh, I don't know. Some people say maybe I'm not getting her sense of humor that she is she is having fun out there, but it does seem like she's getting a little. Uh, I don't know what the right word is uh, that she it seems to be. You know, uh, condescending. Well, condescending is the word. Yeah, 
And, and so, yeah, is that not the road? no, that's probably, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, you know, and I don't want to come off as anti cast because I think that she has brought stuff to the table. I think she's been a fun character this season, but she does seem to be, I rarely see Cass smiling unless she's like, just put somebody down on the show. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, I mean, I think she, she appreciates her own snarkiness. Yeah. She's a fan of her own snarkiness and her intellect. And, you know, everybody is to a certain degree on the show. That's how you get on survivors because you think you're better than everybody in at least some aspect of life. Yeah. And, and so, uh, but it is, it is funny that she's, I think she's taking this opportunity to on survivor to, to say what she wants. So I think that when she says what she wants, she's like, oh, that felt really good to tell Spencer, the little bratty 21-year-old kid, that uh, that he's a jerk. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe that's something she doesn't do in her real life, and maybe that's something she does in her real life, and she just always enjoys it. But it seems like she's enjoying her own... <laughs> she enjoys herself more than anybody else enjoys her. You know what? I'll tell you the point in the show where I did really was was really warming up to Cass was earlier in the season when she was talking about how, you know, we're not the brains tribe, we're the crap for brains tribe. And she was more sort of self-deprecating. But I feel like uh, somewhere along the way, you know, after she flipped to the other alliance, she's lost any sort of like self-deprecating humor that she had. And now it's, you know, turned into a lot of like, you know, everybody else is dumb. Right. And, uh, yeah, I would agree with that too. I think early on when she was saying, you know, I'm playing this game for me and just me and whether or not people like my moves, I'm making the moves for myself. And even though there was a point where she was like, is it a smart move or a dumb move? It's, it's too early to tell. You know, I'm here another day and that's what matters most. And I think that there's so many people who, who if they had played that way more, would have had much better success on the show. I mean, even in this season, Garrett and David, the first two guys voted out, had they played more for, let's be here tomorrow instead of, um, I am going to be at the finals. Who don't I want to sit by? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and, and it, it's true. Like there's so many game changers in Survivor and you just can't, play the game like that you can play a few moves ahead but you can't play 20 moves ahead and and Cass early on she recognized that and she said you know this move to me is sixes whether I do this or this and I just have to adjust my gameplay after we make the move to whatever I choose like it's so early to tell and it doesn't really matter right now it's just I just have to make a move yeah and you liked that move I like the fact that she recognized that not every single move in Survivor is necessary for your final gameplay. You know, whether you get rid of a whether you get rid of a uh or a Jeffra or somebody like that now or get rid of the better one first and the next one second, sometimes stuff like that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you take everything into account that you can, but in the end, you have to say, you know what? 
I'm going to stick with this decision and then I'm going to play the game from there on out. So I think too many people get caught up with getting to the finals every single play. And it's not always about that. Well, just like Sandra, who you played with on Heroes vs. Villains, that she's famously the, you know, anybody but me, and it's just as long as I'm still here three more days, then I'm fine. I feel like that cast has brought a lot of that into the game. But how do you find the right balance between, okay, as long as I just don't get voted off this one, and then you sort of like, oh no, now I'm painted into a corner, I'm going to get voted out fourth, and being able to sort of craft a final two final three scenario that you want to be in where you actually can win the game if you get there you know sandra that is her that is her mantra but she does a lot to shift the direction of the game you know early on i played with her for what two three weeks something like that Mm -hmm. and she she was one of my closest allies on heroes villains at the time and I would go to her and she is the master of twisting truth. I think if you're a social player, you have to pattern your game after Sandra to a certain degree. And even me, I would say that my biggest inspiration last season for how to play the game was Sandra. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch her game and you watch her twist truth, like I would, I would sit with her on Heroes Villains and we'd say, okay, what do we want to do? Let's do this. And she would go out and work for it. Like she would say anybody but me on the surface, but then she'd be the one behind telling lies about everyone to get the output that she, to get the outcome that she wanted on the show. And so it's, I think that's how you have to play. I mean, if you're, if you're a cast character or someone like that, you still have to have input on who gets voted out. And Sandra definitely uh, strategically deserves more credit than she's gotten, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's just because she's so good at playing the anyone but me card that you don't see everything else she's doing to manipulate the game. And that's where hitting people with the lie before someone else goes to him with the truth comes into play. And that's a classic Sandra move. Yeah. I think a good example of that was what happened to coach on heroes versus villains, where she sort of gave Russell the lie about what coach was doing to him. And then coach ends up being the person to get voted out there. Right. And I caught on to her. I caught on to her very soon and I approached her on it. Because she had told me, she, I had heard that she had told people that she had heard Coach and I talking before the game even started about how tight we were and how we were going to stick together no matter what. And I was like, hey, I know what you're doing, and it's awesome, but why don't you do it to help me and you, and I'll be with you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think she's, Someone like that, if you have on on your side, and they're that good at spinning the truth so that it's not a complete lie, you know, telling half-truths or incorporating truth with with a lie to direct the game the way you want it to go, uh, she's, she's great at that. 
Now, Tyson, the last time that we really, really talked about an episode, yeah, we did the podcast, which was great back during Survivor Philippines, but we really didn't talk about the episode too much. We sort of started there and went on to a bunch of different things. But the last time you and I really recapped an episode of this show together was in Survivor One World. And in that episode we recapped, it just so happened to be the food auction. So you are pretty much the food the auction, food auction guy. go-to guy to talk about. Right. There you go. It's, uh, I get my expertise. Food, I guess, is my expertise. If you're, uh, food as is, far as Survivor goes, right? Food is your expertise, but ironically, and I um, need to find the person who pointed this out in the comments, you have never participated in a food auction in three seasons. I know. They've had it in token jeans. Did they have one in here as well? Um, I don't believe they did, but honestly, I, I'd have to fact check that. Yeah. Uh, so they had one in token jeans, but I was already gone. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I really love the food auction. I mean, it's, it's kind of a survivor staple. Yes, I'm Tysoning right now. Well, okay, there you go. For, uh, the, for those of you in the know, yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know. I I think the food auction. I, I heard you and Stephen talking about it last night, and how it's a little, it's a little played out because it's so obvious as to what's going to happen. Yeah, because, you you know, everybody is like, well, I got to play for the advantage. And so you ended up having three people who were basically only trying to play for an advantage in the thing. And so people were getting really good deals at the food auction. Now, we've compared Tony a couple times during this podcast to your position in Survivor Blood versus Water. Now, famously, you chose to eat in your season whenever you could and to the degree where you even sat out that challenge that Monica won I forget if that was at 6 or 7 and you had the opportunity should I eat or should I play and you said I'm going to eat during this challenge what do you think of somebody like Tony who has not only is in the majority alliance he also has a hidden or he had the Tyler Perry idol also at this point um, he ultimately ends up getting the second idol did you agree with that decision for him to spend all of his money and not get any food Yes, I think a hundred percent. I so in token tunes when I played, there was a the the episode I went out on was also sit and eat pizza or play for immunity, and I felt pretty comfortable then. But I still decided to play because my mindset was I'm playing for a million dollars. I can eat pizza later and I need to block who I want voted out from winning this challenge. And in Blood versus Water, when I sat out, it was more strategic in that I was trying to draw people to vote for me because I had planned on playing my idol at seven, realizing that that was kind of a, uh, an important number in the game. And so I wanted people to vote for me at that tribal council, and so I was going to draw people out by kind of being an ass and eating so flagrantly. And it didn't work out that way, but at least I got a good meal. So I was protected, <laughs> and I was planning on being protected no matter what. Also, a little, uh, a little uh, how would you say, trivia maybe? That was my birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. Yeah, that was my birthday meal when I, when I set out to eat and then played my idol that night. 
Well, that also helps explain why you were being such a douche uh, while you were eating and everybody was doing the challenge and, like, having right, people right. feed I mean, to you. So I heard that I, she had already come to me and said, hey, Hayden and Caleb are trying to gun for you. And so in my mind, I thought, okay, well, what I don't want to happen is sure that they're gunning for me, but then they think, oh, maybe he has the idol. Let's switch it on to Jervis or Monica. So I was thinking... If I can make everyone want to vote for me, then when I play the idol, it won't be in vain. Yeah, I was too good. Yeah, I was too good. Even even with all that, they still didn't vote for me. <laughs> and who did they, they vote for? They voted for Jervis. Or, no, or they voted for Sierra. They voted for Sierra. <laughs> <laughs> it was so ridiculous. So it was so funny because. I was like, okay, both sides are telling you they're going to do something, and both sides did it, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, in the food auction, did any of those items particularly speak to you that got uh, purchased? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what was on the menu, and you tell me uh, what was the what was the most enticing thing: um, popcorn and candy. Oh, with the porn music, it was definitely the lid. <laughs> well, yeah, but we'll talk. We'll With talk the about the porn music. We'll talk, talk about it later. We'll talk about that later. Um, we had okay. popcorn and candy went for eighty dollars. Good deal. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like popcorn and I like candy, and there was a soda there too. I think it was a good deal. I think that I think at that point, once you lose any amount of money, you're out for the advantage, so you don't hold back. Yeah. Just for the pot everything how often would that have been if trish would have bought every single meal well there are things that get cut out of the auction so for all we know like there was probably more than six things in the auction so god knows how many yeah, things that that's true. that that they well, ended up getting part in one rob so i don't really know yeah <laughs> so um you so trish got the popcorn and candy and soda I guess for eighty dollars, which is actually a, a really good deal because I went to the movies last week and it was ninety dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's actually cheaper uh, if you if you go on Survivor to buy your popcorn. <laughs> yeah, and then we had Jeffra. She got a quesadilla uh, and a margarita for a hundred bucks. Yeah, great deal. Um, I don't know. I I have not been a big Jeffra fan this this season. Why not? I think her just, just, I don't know. It's just, there's something Sierra Reedish about her that, not to be confused with Sierra Easton. Right. That is just, you know, like when she turns around, she's like, hey, y'all, I've been dreaming about guacamole. Wasn't I just telling you guys about guacamole? And now I've got guacamole. And everybody's like, "Uh uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wish that we had that instead of you, and now you're annoying us. And it's just little things like that. That's a lot of guac that they gave her. I it can't imagine she that... Didn't, she didn't get the quesadilla properly. <laughs> she really should have guacked it up a little bit more, I think. I think that, uh, I mean, but that's, she's a first-time player. She doesn't know how much guac she wants on her quesadilla. But I gotta so imagine maybe. that did not go particularly well after the fact a person who has not eaten in a month to eat like a basically a half gallon of guacamole no i think that's okay you think it's okay all right yeah it's avocado dude it's all natural stuff it's i don't think it's gonna 
I think the cheese maybe in the quesadilla yeah. would be harder on the stomach than the, I just than think the actual guac. I mean, I think that's way too much fat. I mean, I don't think your body can handle like, uh, you know, 100 grams of fat in one sitting. Well, the human body is a miracle. You'd be surprised <laughs> what it can handle. All right. I, I mean, she might poop it out in diarrhea form, but you can definitely get it all down. Uh, steak sandwich for $20. That's the steal of the night? The steal of the night. It was, yeah. I mean, I really think that you're saying we're not seeing everything, but still, why isn't Trish, who got the first item, bidding on everything? You know, at that point, once you bid on one thing and lose a little bit of money, you know that if you don't have $500, you're out for the advantage. You may as well be taking every good deal you can. I liked uh, after whatever Trish won, I guess she won uh, the... Uh, uh, she, yeah, I like that she said to everybody, like, uh, hey, guys, come yeah, on, bid. Are. Don't be a bunch of cheapo depots, she said, which I yeah. never... I never heard that expression before. A cheapo depot. Yeah, I never want to hear that expression again either. It's, it's, it's like almost as bad as because when I replayed it in my mind, I thought that I remembered her saying "silly Sally" to everybody. Come on, you silly Sally! Come on! And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, that's uh, I guess that's a mom thing to say, kind of. I don't know. My mom doesn't say that, but I. Uh, yeah, it was, come on, you cheapo depot. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because it, in my mind, I was like, can't you see everybody saving up for the advantage? And she was like, I got popcorn and candy. I got a gummy. Yeah. I was like, who called it a gummy? <laughs> and then woo. Uh, Is that what you would have said? If you had, <laughs> if you had gotten like a, a Swedish fish or whatever she put in her mouth, would you have been like, hey guys, it's a gummy. If it was a gummy bear, I might have said that. But you would have said a gummy bear, probably. Probably. I would have differentiated so people didn't think, is it a gummy worm? Is it a gummy bear? I would have, you yeah. know. Wasn't, wasn't the whole bowl gummies? I don't know. <laughs> and then, it's a gummy. I didn't know until I put it in my mouth. Finally, uh, Wu gets uh, $40 for uh, ribs and, and beer. Were those dinosaur ribs, dude? I've never <laughs> seen ribs with that much meat on them. Those were those were pretty good. I mean, typically you wouldn't think that uh, ribs would have that much meat. I don't know if they were like horse yeah, ribs. Only three ribs. Yeah, you know it was crazy. But, but you know, you got to. I the first time I was on Survivor, the food was never outstanding. So anytime I ate, I was always disappointed. Yeah. But since then, they've hired some new food guy, probably or something. But the food is mind-blowingly delicious. Like, blood versus water, I think any of that food, and granted, you know, my opinion skewed because I had been starving for, you know, like 22 hours before between meals. Yeah. But uh, I think that the food that was so good then that even in a non-starving situation, it would be four and a half or five star rating. Whoa. Yeah. There you go. So good. You know, like my mouth is watering now talking about it. <laughs> I've definitely told this story on the podcast before, but I know we have a lot of new listeners probably from the last time I've told it. But in our Survivor Amazon food auction that we sort of thought we were going to outsmart the show back in Survivor 6, and we all came up with the idea 
was, okay, let's all, we all want to eat as much as possible. Let's not bid against each other. So if somebody wants something, then just let them have it for like 20, 40 bucks. And then there'll be so much food, we'll all get to get like two or three things at the auction. And so the first item comes up and it was a piece of cheesecake. And all right, first item is cheesecake and Heidi is like uh, $20 and maybe like it might have gone up like one more person and it's like going, going, gone. Like, okay. And then the second thing comes up and then Jeff Probst is like, all right, fine. You guys aren't going to bid. Everything's covered from now on now. Like, uh, he's got like really, he got really, really mad with us. And that was like 22 seasons ago. So I'm not exactly sure why he was standing for the, everybody going for all of the low price, cheapo depot items at the auction. Um, I think part of it was because they had the new rock draw plan in yeah. play. And so I think that was part of it where they were like, okay, we got three people saving their money. Obviously we're going to come to a rock draw on the advantage. And secondly, there's something heartbreaking. I would imagine about leaving the auction with a huge lot of cash still. Like there's gotta be some remorse and regret leaving the auction with $500 cash. No, Tyson, when I did my auction, so I, I basically, I got something, I got like a power bar or something for like $240 and I still had like 260 left or, or I, you know, I, or I spent 260 and I had 240 left. I'm like, I think I might get one more thing here. Everybody else had spent their money. And then on the last thing, there was like a steak and I got like outbid by like 20 or 40 bucks by somebody who still had money left. Sometimes you can get something yeah. cheap and then like, ideally you want to like get something for like a hundred bucks and then get something for like 400 bucks. So, Right. Uh, but I ended up I ended up having like the $240 left over in cash, but I was like kind of pumped up because like I was I was 24 never years seen old. That amount of money. And, yeah. Well, I was like it's not that I've never seen that kind of money, but I was like, "All right, hey, like uh this 200 200- Be honest with me, bro. If you've never seen that amount of money, <laughs> you should just say it. I had seen like no at least I had seen at least like $300 before. But okay. you know, I wasn't that far away from, you know, when I was in college where, where it was like, you know, digging through like the couch cushions to, you know, find money to go to the bar. So I was like, hey, 240 bucks, like uh, think about all the food I'm going to be able to buy at the airport. So I was like, all right, this, this isn't the worst thing in the world. But then we had a fire and then the camp burnt down and my $240 got burnt in the fire. Yeah. So then that, so then how bad did you feel? I was pissed. I was really pissed. Were you like, I, were you like I wish I would have spent that on food instead of burning it in the fire? No, no. Well, what had happened was that I had gone to a reward challenge and somebody took me uh, that Matthew won the reward. I went to a barbecue with Matthew and little did I know that my camp was actually being barbecued while I was gone. And then we came back from the reward and, and Jenna was like, uh, hey, guys, the camp burnt down. And I was like, what happened to my two hundred forty dollars? <laughs> very upset the, the casualty of uh, the survivor auction but I bet Tasha was you know at the time she was bummed out but I bet when she got to the airport she's like hey $500 in my pocket yeah that's true but at the same point you the, that $500 compared to and I don't know if we're even supposed to talk about this but I'm talking about it compared to the prize money you get at the end even if you're the first person voted off is yeah small 
Yeah, but you know what? To be honest, in Survivor 6, I had no idea what the prize money was. And I feel like that, that I didn't have that in the contract or anything. And I didn't know how much money we were getting at that time. And I no, remember... It's not, a, it's not in the contract. Yeah. It's always up to their discretion, but they have a pretty standard pay scale that they follow. Yeah. And I remember actually, like, I, even after I lost the game, I really, I really didn't know, you know, I was third place. I really had no idea. I thought you were getting like, like, basically it was like first place was a million and then it was a hundred thousand. And then I thought I was getting like, like third place I thought was maybe like 25 grand or like 15 grand. And I so pleasant I was pleasantly surprised then after, after the fact. Um, and so that was, that was very good. I remember like Jen and Heidi, like asking production and like Jen and Heidi coming back with like, like, uh, we heard that fourth, that, you know, or fifth place was like, you know, $35,000. Like, is that, is that true? I'm like, N- there's no way that that's true. And I remember like argue, arguing with them and then, uh, they, they had it right. Yeah. But, but I had thought that I was like, oh, maybe I could like use this $240 to my advantage, like in the game. It's like, hey, Christy, if you vote this oh, way, I'll give idea. you, I'll give you $240. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And at that time, yeah, I think uh, that would have been fun. That would have been fun to watch. Yeah. Or it's I, like, I should do that now with her 500 bucks by a vote. Yeah, it's like, Jenna and Heidi, what about, I know you guys are pissed off at me right now, but what about if I made it rain right now? Uh, would you yeah. guys consider? Do you think that Jeff would have, would have changed out your, your cash for all ones? <laughs> Maybe after the auction, like, Jeff, can I actually get this, my 500 in ones? So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So that a little uh, behind the scenes uh, stuff about the the food auction. All right, Tyson, I have so many questions here for you. Uh, plus, we're going to get to. I have the top five inappropriate comments from last night, and I have a little bit of a game that I want to play with you. But let's go in. Let's get into some of these questions. How are you? You're holding up. Your blood sugar's okay. My blood sugar's perfect, dude. I think. Okay. Let's let's go ahead and let's talk about a question from and we covered a couple of these things. Okay, Hartley Jaffine wants to know, should Spencer have taken the Tyson approach when picking rocks and left it to fate instead of being the first one to choose a rock? He pulls his hand in the bag first, pulls out the first rock, and of course, it is the uh white rock. Yeah, I mean you're talking to Tyson, so the Tyson approach is obviously what I would default to. So, yes, I would say Spencer should have drawn last, but I, and I think we've talked about this before, I like to draw last because there's not a choice. The choice is already made for me. I can't blame it on my wandering hand. I can't stick my hand in there and switch back and forth and back and forth and then regret the decision because I could have said, oh, I should have just not switched one last time when I had my hand in the bag between the two rocks. So for me, that's, it, it, it is leaving it up to fate. It's letting everyone else's wandering hands decide. And then you having your decision made for you, which, which I prefer. Okay. If I'm sitting at dinner, if I'm sitting at, din- at dinner at a Chinese restaurant and fortune cookies come out, I let everyone choose their fortune cookie before I take mine. Whoa. Yeah, I've always done that. And I always get great stuff. What's the best fortune? That was, uh, I've gotten uh, I've gotten a couple times 
wealth and fortune will come your way. That's probably two or three times. In bed. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Um, right, this one just came into me from Twitter. This is from uh, Spicy Wasabi uh, at Teddy Bluebee said, Tyson, how does it feel to know that you are in the top 15 Mormons on reality TV, according to the Salt Lake Tribune? Now, are you aware of this honor? Yes, I am. I'm number two behind David Archuleta. <laughs> yes. Well, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good that David Archuleta is in front of me. Yeah. Now, is... I don't know too much about David Archuleta's musical career. Is he still killing it, or is he sort of come back down to earth? So he, he, I think he's killed it enough that he probably deserves to be in front of me there, but it's still being beat by David Archuleta. No, you know what? I think we need to update this because uh, according to this, number one, David Archuleta, the Salt Lake Tribune says, okay, so he was the American Idol second place. He didn't even win American Idol. Uh, Archie Mania, quote unquote, ran rampant for a time. And back in 2008, even being the Idol runner up was still a big deal. He went on to record a few CDs and recently returned from a Mormon mission in Chile. I mean, if he's just going on, uh, you know, going out on missions in Chile, that's got to mean he doesn't have too much going on in the music recording world, right? Which is correct. Yeah, that is correct. But even still, um, he probably has a larger fan base than me, maybe. My fans are more devout, obviously. But he, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't completely disagree with with that um i beat donnie and marie so that's pretty dope Marie. this is how they describe you in the salt lake tribune tyson apostle survivor winner 2012 after finishing eighth in 2009 and 15th in 2000 i guess they're going by the year you actually filmed blood versus water is that even right no, uh, no, that's not even right. I think they're, uh, they're just off a year. All right, so maybe they'll print a retraction. The third time was the yeah. charm for the outspoken apostle, a returned Mormon missionary who was noted for his nudity the first time he was on Survivor. He came back for a third and winning time with his girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate, except for the year. Yeah. Um, you beat out some other notables, including Julie from the real world New Orleans. Um, that yeah, was an easy victory. Yeah. Uh, a little insulting here. Todd Herzog uh, down at number six, behind even Sean Nelson from The Rebel Billionaire. <laughs> yeah, that's a little sad. Uh, so uh, Todd was, uh, they described Todd as the openly gay flight attendant from Pleasant Grove, who was just 22 when he won the million bucks. He was last seen on national TV in November 2013 when he was falling down drunk on a Dr. Phil episode that focused on his alcoholism. Yeah, I think that that appearance alone should have put him up in the, you know, in the top, yeah. top three or four. You also beat out other standouts, including uh, Nalia Dennis and uh, also... That's when Survivor was popular, even. Yeah. And Rafe Judkins. But I have to say, was Dawn Meehan snubbed? 
Apparently so, dude. Apparently so. <laughs> She's. Let me tell you, the list goes to 15 and includes John Rode, who lost an astonishing 220 pounds to win The Biggest Loser, and uh, Janelle Brown and Kristen Cold, who took home $10,000 for winning Cupcake Wars. Where is Dawn Meehan? Yeah, that's uh, kind of a travesty. But yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that the writer who uh, uh, I know just from all my stints on Survivor, I think it's, it's Scott, right? Scott Peterson? Scott, Peter, Scott Peterson who? That, that killed his wife? The writer. He's the writer. Okay. No, he's the writer of, uh, of the article. Okay, yes. I think he was going more for diversity on shows. I'm sure, I'm sure he was shooting for a little diversity instead of having uh, eight survivors, five biggest losers, and uh, and David Archuleta. Yes. And where is Jonas Atsuchi, who famously said this? No, I'm going to have to say it was poop. Yeah, I, I guess that quote wasn't enough to get him in the top 15. All right, well, all right. So, I mean, we've had, a, we've had a lot of survivors from Utah, you know, Cowboy, uh, Rick Nelson or whatever his name is. He's... Yeah, well, I can understand why he was left off the list. Yeah, <laughs> why? Why did that rock? Because <laughs> he was barely on the show. <laughs> okay. In fact, we refer to people who are completely invisible on the show often as the Rick. So maybe that makes him more famous than. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So congratulations on being number two. Thank you. And maybe I appreciate it. Maybe if I'm on Survivor one more time, I can bump up uh, one more. Yeah, as long as. Archie Mania doesn't return to uh, yeah. its prominence. Doesn't flare up again. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to, here's a question that is from Ian Rice. And Ian wants to know, Tyson, do you feel that Tony wearing his idol at Tribal Council was overkill or was he simply trying to tell his alliance, don't mess with me, I'm not going anywhere, and if you're thinking of turning on me, watch what happens to Jeffra. Um, I was hoping he actually was going to pull out the other idol and tell everyone about it, but I still thought, I, I don't think it was a bad move. I, I mean, there were moments when I had the idol where I was like, shall I advertise this to everybody? And you, it, I think as an owner of an idol, it is one of those things that you have to contemplate. You have to say, you know what, uh, is it going to benefit me to pull this out at tribal council right now and just let everyone know that I have it and not to cross me. And I know what Tony is doing, but if you, if you play that right, the idol can potentially be used two times instead of just one. Do you like the idea of wearing the idol at tribal council and not necessarily playing it? Yeah. I, or, yeah, I think for showing people it or, you know, I, it's a little blatant. And you and Steven touched on it last night when it's so blatant, there's a great chance that it's not going to get played, at least on the person who's wearing it. Yeah. And so I think our, our more subtle approach would have been a little better. Like maybe put it in your pocket of your skin tight jeans on your way to tribal council so everybody can see it. <laughs> or, you know, something like that where people know you have it, but you didn't necessarily advertise it outright to them. Okay. Oh, really? I wanted to. T- I wanted to touch on one more thing. Yes. I'm going to be disappointed in Tony if he doesn't wear that idol around camp 24/7 until he plays it. Okay. I just wear it in his everyday as his 
even if it's the only thing he wears, I think he needs to wear it the entire time. Cameron Johnson wants to know, Tyson, do you feel bad about stealing all of Cagayan's coconuts from the players this season, or is it just the Coconut Bandit's biggest heist yet? No, they still have coconuts. I saw coconuts in the background last night sitting on the ground at camp. And I was like, oh, I would have eaten all of those. I would eat those all right now, even sitting at home, having plenty of food to eat. Why, because so they're so delicious, I, or is it just the thrill of the heist? <laughs> I love coconuts. So this morning for breakfast, I had oatmeal with coconut milk inside it, and uh, eggs fried in coconut oil. Whoa. It's very good for you, the coconut, they say. Uh, I've lived almost 35 years without major health issues, so I guess I'm a testament to that. Now, did you start with the coconut regimen before you were on Survivor, or you've just continued it since the show? Um, well, I've always enjoyed coconut as, as a child, even. Um, but now, coconut's such a popular nutritional thing that it's easy to find everywhere. You know, you couldn't go to the store and buy a bottle of coconut water even 10 years ago. And so now that it's kind of a, a trend, yeah, I, I definitely, I love the flavor of it and the taste. And it is, you know, there are health benefits to it, I suppose. So it's just a win-win-win, right? Yeah. I'll tell you what, I use coconut milk uh, as my creamer in coffee. And I drink a lot of yeah. coffee. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to go. How about I mean, that? It's, it adds, adds a little bit of good flavor to it. And, you know, I never understood that. There's people that absolutely despise coconut and won't even eat it while they're on the island. Yeah. You know who else so, despises yeah, coconut? Nicole. True. Yeah, it's true. And you married her anyway? Yeah. You know oh, believe prepared? me, that's that's the least of the uh, things that she, <laughs> she doesn't like. <laughs> Uh, and, oh, I thought you were going to say that's the least of the things that I shouldn't have married her for. <laughs> I did not. I did not say that. Okay. Well, yeah, you you alluded to it. <laughs> I did not. I did not say or allude to it. Uh, Greg okay. Feltz has a question. Tyson, if you had pulled the White Rock in the final six, or even had been voted out earlier in a blindside and gone to Redemption Island and then made it back into the game via Redemption Island at the final five, would your hidden immunity idol still be eligible to be used or would it be neutralized if you were voted out temporarily? Did you ever get an answer to this question? No, I never inquired of it, but I would assume that it would still be in play, whether I took it with me to Redemption Island or whether I had left it buried on the island somewhere and came back and got it. I think, I think it would have been in play still. I don't, I don't know for sure, but if, if I were a gambling man, which I am, I would say, yeah, I, I think that you would still be able to use that idol. Okay, how about there's no Redemption Island, okay, and you get blindsided and you have the idol. Could you get up, go, you know, hand Jeff your torch and flip your hidden idol to somebody else in your alliance or somebody that you don't like, but like sort of like a Brad Culpepper type thing? Could you give the idol after you've been voted out if you still had it? I think so. I think if your torch is still burning, you're still currently in the game, right? Yeah. So I think as long as you toss it before Jeff snuffs your torch, then it's probably cool. I mean, there's so many gray areas that 
I think if you just go with it, they allow it. Yeah. Now, I think you that'd know, be I a cool move. It would be a cool move. And I have, I've thought of that before too. I was like, if somebody gets voted out with the idols in their pocket and they're like, okay, that means you guys are next. Here you go, Jervis and Monica. Use it wisely. Uh, then I think, yeah, I, I think that they would definitely allow that. Okay. This is a question from Michael Quigley, and maybe this is something you can talk about, and maybe this is something you can't talk about, but I think this is a lot of people would want to know the answer to this question. Michael Quigley wants to know, wants to know can Tyson speak on production, quote-unquote, help with idol finding? I, quote-unquote, think in one of his previous interviews, he had mentioned that it was easy if you just watch the camera guys because they would often pan past the place where the idol was, and that was how he uh, found one in the tree. Uh, ask him something along the lines of, can watching the cameramen be helpful in finding the idols? Now, uh, one, I don't rec- I don't recall you saying that. Maybe you said that in an, er- in an earlier uh interview did, did you say that about blood versus water no i don't i i so I, I don't remember saying that i don't think that's true but this is part of the game is having the cameras there and they're always there but they're not always interested in what you do oh well, you know what? You just, know, just, just I, let me just clarify that so i guess in an earlier interview with me you had said that you it's easy because you just find where the cameramen are filming and what Michael wanted to know was, is that how you found the idol that was in the tree? No, that's not how I found the idol, but I want to touch on it a little more. Good. So when you are out there, you know, everybody's out there. Cameras are out there. Um, and a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of downtime where nobody's doing anything. But the second something interesting pops up, you know, the cameras turn on a little bit. And so if you're watching a conversation take place, for example, if I'm sitting on the beach and I'm seeing all the girls sitting in the water, if the cameras seem a little disinterested, I know they're not really talking about anything too important, most probably. Whereas if the cameras perk up a little bit and are getting good shots and stuff, I can assume that strategy is taking place. Do I know what they're talking about? No, but I know they're talking about something. And so I need to find out what it is. And that's not always the case because, you know, like real climbing up the tree and falling, that's a great shot. And it didn't have anything to do with strategy, but you have to be aware of your surroundings completely. And it's the same thing with, with idols. I think Penner talked about it as well, that if you're digging and you're on the complete opposite side of the island, the cameramen don't want 35 hours of you digging in the wrong place. Right. They have better things to do than to film you digging for that amount of time. So, um, so you can, I mean, and that's also just assuming like maybe they do want that much footage or maybe they are going to film me the whole time. In my mind, I'm, I'm just trying to think from the perspective of a camera guy. And that's sometimes how I, how I reacted on the show a little bit. You think from the perspective of, of the camera people? Yeah. I mean, if you, if, if I were a cameraman and I was filming a girl conversation or 
I guess any strategic converse, any non-strategic conversation, I was just trying to uh, parallel it with with the girls sitting in the ocean with Tasha talking and Tony and Spencer out on shore. If I were a camera guy filming the girls talking, and if they were just like, oh, I wish I had a pedicure, uh, just uh, you know, just talking about stuff that didn't really matter that you've heard five hundred times before, because these are conversations that happen nonstop on Survivor then as a camera guy, you're just kind of like, okay, just go with the flow here versus, okay, now they're talking about getting rid of one of the guys or they're trying to shift the game. I have to make sure to get this on camera. Right. So it's like the guys are sort of like, you see them, they're they're like looking at their watch or like, you know, checking their phone and like the camera is like pointed at the sky. But then all of a sudden, like when you see like, you know, the boom guy is like really moving in close and you you could tell like, oh, they must be talking about something good. Right, exactly. And so, you know, and that's, that's pure assumption, but I, if you, you know, you have to put yourself in the mind of everyone out there. And if I were a camera guy, you know, I would definitely, I would, that's something I would definitely do. Okay. So, so let's, while we're on this subject of talking about following what the camera people are doing and a little bit of production, you know, there's a lot of people that, know, I, I, don't, I don't think they, I don't think they lead you anywhere. Yeah. I just think, you know, they're, they're there to get the action. And so, you know, that if the cameras are interested there's action somewhere. And, you know, honestly, I don't think that the camera people know exactly where the idol is hidden either. Like, I don't think that, like, do you think that, like, just, like, the average camera guy that's filming knows, like, where to, the hidden immunity idol, like, he might know, like, okay, I know it's near that tree, but I don't think General he... Area, yeah. yeah. I don't think, like, the, the camera guy, like, knows, like, exactly where the idol is, like, what branch it's on and stuff like that. Right, yeah, and I think... I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of the camera guys probably see the clue like you see the clue. And so it's like telling me like, oh, it's in a big white tree. So he's walking around and you just catch glimpses of him. Like, that's not a big white tree. Okay, they don't spend a lot of time with him there. But then, oh, he finds the big white tree. He knows as well as they know that there's an idol there somewhere because he's in the vicinity. Got it. And so that could be too. I, you know, and... It's it's probably obvious most of the time to everyone involved there what's going on. So it's it's probably not a huge secret, but it's uh, it's definitely something that I've always always watched. Stephen and I talked about this last night on the podcast. And now there's a lot of people who, from when Tony found the idol last week, a lot of the uh, you know the tinfoil hat people said, "Oh, see production." They told Tony found the thing without the idol, without the clue. So this means production told Tony where to go look for the idol. Now you've played the game much more recently than I have. You've actually played the game three times since the last time I've played the game. So you would probably be able to speak better to this. Do you think that there's any chance production told Tony to go and find the idol? No, I don't think so. I think. Um, I mean, the whole tribe learned that the secret idol was hidden near camp. So at that point, you have to keep your eyes open, and the people who put more time in looking for it are the people who have a better chance of finding it. And Tony, from what we're seeing on TV, seems to be one of those guys. And with me, I'm 
uh, on Blood versus Water, it was the same thing. It was like, okay, I've heard the clues as to where it's hidden. I'm going to go find it because I need to find it so that nobody else has it. And so I put in the effort and the time to look for it before anybody else did. And so, and anytime other people were looking for it, even before I found it, I was present. There was a time when Hayden and I went out to look for the first idol together to make sure that the remnants of the RS Alliance didn't have the idol. Mm -hmm. And me and Hayden spent probably half an hour out there, maybe longer digging for it together, looking for it. And, uh, and so it, and then after that, he stopped looking for it because there is a certain amount of, of fear like you saw with Tony and Spencer last night where Tony saw that Spencer was out looking for the idol and that does raise a red flag. For Tony, he knew that he didn't have the idol because it was already in Tony's pocket. But, uh, but there is, you know, and if you're in camp and someone disappears, that's the normal, that's the normal approach is to say, hey, that guy's out there looking for the immunity idol what's the deal with that? You know, he's kind of betraying all of us by showing us he doesn't trust us and also trying to find something for himself and not share it with us. And so the trick is getting away from camp and finding it without people realizing where you've gone or, uh, throwing caution to the wind and saying, you know what, this is my only play now is to find this. And I think that's where Tony was. It was, he had the clue and the clue was so direct in where the idol was hidden that he was going to find it. I don't think there was going to be a clue that was more specific than what he got as to the whereabouts of the idol. Was that irrational for Tony to start getting mad at Spencer for looking for the idol? Uh, no, that's, a, that's, that's, I mean, survivor one one that's cliche to say, but anybody who's caught looking for the idol it does make them a target to a certain degree. And even, you know, the way Tony, Tony voiced it, he said, look, I'm, I'm not worried that he has the idol. It's just the fact that he doesn't trust me enough to just go with what I propose we do. And so, you know, that's the part because, you know, when you're, when you feel like you're working together with somebody, there is a certain amount of, uh, of loyalty that you expect to receive on their end. And by going to look for the idol and not telling Tony about it kind of, you know, was a little bit of a red flag in Tony saying, oh, he doesn't trust me or he has other plans than what I think is going to happen. And so I need to be careful of what he's doing. All right. Let's go to Sarah Teeter on the subject of production. She wants to know, do you two, Robin Tyson, think production knew Tony Spencer, Tasha, and possibly more were planning on all saving $500 for a chance at an advantage, and that's why they were so insistent that there would be no sharing of cash or food uh, to make the temptation of spending money even harder? Or was that pre-planned in advance to try to mix up the auction and give it more drama since it's becoming predictable? I think the latter. I'm... I've always been of the assumption and I'm, I am 99.9% sure it's true that the entire format of the series is decided before the game even starts. 
Well, so I think that all the challenges, they don't switch the order. They said, this is the order all the challenges are going in. This is the way we're running the auction. This is the way we're running the challenges. You know, there may be a few tweaks here and there as they find hiccups for, you know, perhaps like a challenge doesn't work the way they thought it would, so they have to change it a little bit to make sure it works better, things like that. But I I am of the mindset that everything is is already drawn out and planned out, and it would be the only fair way for the show to operate is to do it that way. And so I, I think that, uh, I think it's the latter that she said. I think that the the auction has become a little predictable and to make good TV and to make it a little tougher, they incorporated the rock draw. They incorporated the non-sharing of the food and the non-sharing of the cash. And it's, it was a natural step to take to make the auction as exciting as possible. Okay. Let's go to a question. This is from Tanya V who wants to know what would happen Assuming idols are not in play for whatever reason, whatever the reason, if Tasha and Spencer were gone, the two biggest winning threats, according to, uh, I mean, Tony's entire alliance, what happens at Final Five? Who does Tony hide behind now if the biggest threats are gone? Okay, so imagine a world where there's no idols, okay, and and... Spencer goes home last night, and then Tasha goes home next. What do you think would happen to Tony at the final five? So it's five now. It's final five, and, and imagine a world five alliance with no idols. <laughs> imagine a world with no idols. So what we're doing is talking about a completely different season of Survivor. A completely different fictional, hypothetical season of Survivor. <laughs> this is what uh, Tanya wants to know: where the <laughs> idols did not exist. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that you have to get rid of, you still would have to be Cass, Trish, and Tony probably in the end. I think they get rid of Jeffra because she didn't have as much blood on her hands because she just kind of went along with it and she was pals with all the beauty tribe that's on, on the jury. And then uh, from there, it's, you know, it's hard to say with Wu if, if it would be Wu or Cass. He's a, right. If the perception is that he's a goat, then maybe take him. But I think next to go, the bottom of the five alliance would have been Jeffrey anyways. Okay. So, and then who goes home after that? And then who goes home after that? I would say if I were in Tony's shoes, I would say go for Wu and go to the end with Trish and Cass. You could, well, if you keep Wu around in the final tribal council, you could say... He could okay, be a goat. Well, you could say, look at Wu. He has blood all over his hands. And Wu's like, no way, dude. It's barbecue sauce. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think people are entertained enough by Wu <laughs> that, that I, I would prefer if I were Tony to go with Trish and Cass to the end. Okay, so was that a good question from Tanya or no? No. Okay. All right. It, I was so, there was too much that's already happened in the season that goes against the question that she wanted to ask. Yeah. Bad, you know, bad, bad hypothetical. Tony already did vote Jeffra out. And so basically what we were saying is who are the bottom two people in the Alliance of Five? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So here's a question from Steve Chung. wants to know, Tyson gets a lot of credit for being funny, but what I think that people underestimate is the skill he has in framing a conversation and getting people to seek his approval. So, dear OBT Kenobi, could you please let us in in some of your secrets and tell us how you do it? Do you make it so that because you're funny that people want to try to get your approval that they're funny also? I definitely do get that sometimes, but I don't know. I, it's, it's perplexing to some people and some people understand it. Like, uh, I think there was a long, uh, a time in my life where my dad was like, I don't know why people like you so much. And this is probably even before, even before, uh, survivor, you know, like all my dad's friends loved me and, and I was kind of the, you know, not the bomb son, but I was kind of, you know, the free spirited son who did what he wanted and grows his hair out and doesn't really care. And, and, you know, there is that, but I do get that, you know, like, uh, after my first season on token chains, I had multiple players from the past come out of the woodwork and say, Hey, you and I are like, we're both assholes. And in my mind, I'm like, no, we're not the same because people actually like my assholery for the most part. I would say 80 to 90% of the people I actually have human contact with, not from a TV viewer standpoint, but I have actual contact with, appreciate my assholery for what it is. Because for the most part, I just say it like I see it in a way that's not offensive enough to really cut that deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, tons of people, you know, I call, I mean, tons, you know, five to 10 people over the course of a year oh, man. that had played survivor previous me that had come out and been like, you know what? We're the same. We're like the same character on there. We are both assholes and people both hate us and stuff. I was like, there's viewers that hate me, but of all the people on all the seasons that played, the person who hates me the most is Sierra Reed from my original season of Token Chains. And other than that, I would say most people don't have much bad things to say about me. I feel like that would be such a fun game to play with you. Uh, if uh, Maybe we could do this offline. We probably can't do it on the podcast of the let me guess the five to ten people that identified themselves as like they're, they're self-aware enough to know that they are assholes, but big enough assholes to say to you that you are also an asshole. Right, which I'm fine with being called an asshole. Like that's not my issue. My issue is I'm not like these people. <laughs> yeah. All right. The reason I've been on the show three times, you know, there's it's and and some people don't see it and some people do, and that's fine. But uh, a lot of these other assholes have, have are maybe more one dimensional assholes. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So maybe that could be a fun game that we could play uh, offline at some point. By the way, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I got to uh, thinking about that. I guess. Oh, I guess it's because it was like Family Feud. Uh, Sophie wanted me to ask you on Twitter that if you would be if you would be interested in getting the Mormon team together as the second most famous Mormon to uh, play against either the East Coast or West Coast survivors in Survivor Family Feud. 
Also, it would be Utah Survivors Only. <laughs> well, we talked about it. Sophie had the idea of Survivor Family Feud. Right. And would that... And then it would... Well, I guess we, we talked about East Coast versus West Coast. Would you lead a Mormon team or a Utah team in Survivor Family Feud? Uh... I mean, why not, right? Right. A chance to meet Steve Harvey? No, 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 no. It would be me. It wouldn't be Steve Harvey. You would. It would be. You would be raw. It would be raw. Even better. Yes, yes. It would be Survivor Family Feud. Yeah. Um. I I mean, yeah, definitely. We would have. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I say definitely, but then there's people that I don't really care to associate with that much. So that's where, not that I hate anybody, it's just like, I'm not really friends with them, like we can do it, but of the people that are in Utah that I'm, have played Survivor that I'm tight with, it's Rachel and probably Todd. Okay. All right, so. And then I, I have some interaction with Don, but with Rick and Jonas and, and Malia and whoever else is out there, it would be. Pretty much, you know, I don't know. It's like hanging out with cousins that you've never met before. Yeah, and if you know, if if they ha- if they had a steal that they felt strongly about, and they wanted you to do it, you'd feel weird about it. Right. Exactly. Okay. All right. So we'll we'll see about that. Maybe you could get lumped in with the West Coast survivors. Yeah, that's. Uh, I I think I'd have a better chance of winning. Okay. So like uh, maybe the trivia. The oh, I guess it's not really trivia, but. Maybe drawing from a larger pool like West Coast would give us better players and a better chance to win. 100, Rob has a podcast listener surveyed, top seven answers on the board, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Michael Quigley, he has another question for you. He says, we're thinking of getting my fiance a new car and she wants a Subaru. Should I be worried? Oh, because she's maybe lesbian? (laughs) Allegedly. Yeah, I mean, you you can't stop people from being what they want to be, Mike. So, <laughs> you know, I think I think this would be a really respectable car, especially if you're living somewhere where it snows and you need all-wheel drive. It's a uh, it's a cheap, efficient all-wheel drive vehicle. Okay. So why not? You know, it's a uh, it makes sense, but. And then you can also use it yourself to infiltrate lesbian factions. So, you know, on the weekends, maybe uh, your fiance Like Donnie Brasco? Yeah. You're with the boys, and you're like, you know what, what should we do? And you're like, well, let's go down to the lesbian elk club. Elks club. And uh, they're just going to let us in because we got the Subaru, and everything's going to work out perfect. And then you get there, and you realize, eh, it's not what we expected. And then you'll probably leave. <laughs> All right, Brad Craig wants to know, are you excited to see a season with no obvious winner? I saw last season's winner coming a mile away. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, it's always fun, you know, and, and I, and I could see that too from, from the viewer's perspective last season, um, because I had a tight grip on the game since the, since the merge. And so I was the clear favorite, but if I would have gone out at six, then it would have been anybody's game. So maybe from a viewership standpoint, 
it would have been a funner season to watch or a more fun season to watch. But uh, I think that the funnest was still seeing me win. So you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> uh, there you go. So Tim Allen wants to know, if you were on the cast of the season, would you have been considered being the Papaya Bandit? Uh, well, we had papayas out there too, but most of them were underripe. And so they weren't that good. They kind of, we'd cut them up green. They tasted like cucumber, but a little bit different. Too and small? Just the fact that, well, I think there's more nutrition and more value in a coconut. Okay. So you're a coconut so man, wa- not yeah, a papaya man. Water. I always think it's funny when people are like, oh, we don't have enough water. And you're like, you have five trillion coconuts right there. Just drink a bunch of them. They're actually better than water because they have electrolytes in them and they have calories in them. Okay. And yeah. coconut water is like 98% water. So it's not like you're not getting enough water. Like on Heroes Villains, Jerry Nancy was like, you can't just drink coconuts and get dehydrated. And I was like, I don't think that's true. I think coconut water actually has water in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like most liquid things you put in your mouth have a substantial amount of water in them. All right. So Tyson, I still have so many questions for you here, but I'm trying to keep track of the time because I don't, I don't want to run out of time with you. So I'm going to move on to some of our other segments that I have here planned. Um, all right. So I have uh, a couple of things that we want to do. We're going to get to voicemails and of course, uh, inappropriate comments. And I want to play a little bit of a game with you, uh, in just a moment. But Tyson, do you mind if I thank our sponsor for this podcast? Uh, it depends on who the sponsor is. All right. Well, this sponsor for today's podcast, this uh, supersize Tyson cast, uh, is our friends at thebooks.com. That's uh, T-H-E-B-O-U-Q-S. Tyson, have you ever sent Rachel flowers online? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, what is your experience? Like online, like, like online virtual flowers? No, 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 no. Have you ever sent her? Crypto flowers? Are you kidding me? Patent pending right now. Because we could just send like you know like those e-cards that make them more flowery, probably. Yeah. Well, that's a good idea, but I kind of feel like that maybe if, been done. Yeah. Well, you know, it might be okay for your girlfriend, but for your mom and stuff like that on Mother's Day, I don't know how well the e-flowers are going to be received. Yeah, they don't have smell until we get like a 4D computer monitors. That's going to be a real issue. <laughs> yeah, until they could do like 3D printing and stuff like that. That's probably not going to be as good. So unfortunately, it's only 2014. And when you go and buy flowers for people online, it turns out to be you think you're getting a good deal. And then they turn out to be like uh, more money than you would spend at the Survivor auction for uh, flowers and and rice and popcorn and all these things, right? Yeah, I mean, they have surprise fees like the airlines do, like, you know, a delivery fee and whatever other fees there are, freshness fee and stuff like that. That's right. Uh, It would be nice to find a place that didn't have all the hidden fees. If only there was a website where you could go and actually find out the real price of flowers. That's, pay for them. that's right. Because at thebooks.com, they took bouquets and simplified everything. So at thebooks.com, you get 
flowers that are from South America. They're growing flowers on a volcano in South America. And for just $40, flat rate, free delivery. Boom. There you go. Can you beat that? Uh, I don't think you can. Do you use it to choose the flowers or they're just like surprise flowers? <laughs> no, you even get to pick which ones you want at thebooks.com. And they're also giving the listeners of Rob Has a Podcast an additional 20% off with the promo code ROB. So go to thebooks.com. That's T H E. B-O-U-Q-S dot com. Click on shop at the top of the page. And don't forget uh, that someone special with Mother's Day coming up next weekend. So don't forget 20% off with the promo code R-O-B at thebooks.com. And you can also, uh, if you're driving or whatever, you can find out more at go to click the special offers uh, link at the top on robiswebsite.com or go to robiswebsite.com slash offers. All right, Tyson. You're saying if you're driving... Yeah, don't stop and try to write. Click the link. Yeah, when you get home, right? Oh, when you get home. Oh, okay. I thought you were encouraging people to do that while they're driving. No, never. Uh, question, Rob. Yes, Tyson. How fast is delivery? Oh, um, I think you get to. I've actually ordered from uh, thebooks.com before, and which which was good because it's always like, okay, you know, I think I'm going to do something, and you spend more money than you want to. So I did it for my grandmother's birthday, and I think what you want to do though is uh, get in there, like leave yourself plenty of time because if if you have to do like rush shipping or it's like the next day, like that ends up being like added uh, money to try to do rush shipping. But if you're thinking for Mother's Day, like get in there now and and uh, set that up for like a week in advance and you won't have to pay any extra fees. Oh, cool. Okay. okay. I'm going to do that for my mom, actually. Good. Yeah. And, that, and that's good. And your mom doesn't have to know you only spent 40 bucks. Your mom could be like, oh, my son, he won a million dollars this year. He's so nice. Yeah. He buys me flowers. So there you the go. Huge bouquet from me. I always, I always still price tags with more expensive stuff in the store that I can put later on cheaper gifts that I give away. Okay. So, Tyson, last week on the show, I invited the listeners of Rob Has a Podcast to start a hashtag, and it ended up kind of going viral on uh, on Twitter. It was pretty much a trending topic, and that trending topic was hashtag Tony Movies. And so, all sorts of listeners from Rob Has a Podcast were making up new movies uh, starring Tony. Okay. You following? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. what I'd like to do is give you some of my favorite Tony movies that were created by the listeners of Rob as a podcast, and I would love if you could come up with the plot of the Tony movie. Okay, we can do that, probably. <laughs> okay, all right. Yep. <laughs> so uh, here's... Uh, let me give you let me give you one which was uh, was very very good and it had a poster attached to it and I believe this one was created by uh, Nate Sadler and his movie that he came up with his Tony movie was We Bought a Woo We Bought a Woo instead of We Bought a Zoo yes so I would assume that you would uh Indentured servitude and slavery is is frowned upon in this day and, and age. I feel yes. So it would probably have to be more of like a a butler uh, boss situation. <laughs> and they're like, oh, Tony and his family, you know, they they're sick of having second rate sushi, and so they're like, let's. Uh, I'm assuming that 
really what karate knows how to roll a mean roll of sushi, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like, let's uh, set up this because we're wealthy beyond measure because we can afford a butler and let's hire this rule to be the jack of all trades because he'll get in hilarious hijinks will ensue and they'll have a sushi bar just right there in the kitchen instead of a regular bar in the kitchen it's a sushi bar where Tony and his family can can uh, go and eat and uh, and we will make them sushi rolls okay uh, that sounds like a blockbuster yeah, I mean, he's a chauffeur, he's, uh, he's the doorman, he wears a tuxedo, and, uh, you know, at dinner time he has, uh, whatever those sheet things are over the forearm, one of those napkins that he puts the tray on. Yeah. Well, that would be fun. I think, yeah, I think it would be definitely a grand slam. There's been worse movies. <laughs> Okay, uh, here's another one that came to us from the listeners of uh, Rob as a podcast. Uh, I believe uh, I want to say I want to credit Alex Wilpon with this one. Uh, what about Jeremy Maguire? Jeremy Maguire. Why are we calling Jeremiah Jeremy? Is that something he requested, or is that something that he was offended by, or what's the deal? I think that was just. Uh, I think he's shortened Jeremiah to Jeremy, but it's not the same name. Okay, Jeremy Maguire. So I think, uh, I mean, the, the obvious is Jeremy is an up-and-coming male model who dreams of making the big time, and he decides to take a chance on this uh, agent of his who's, who's kind of all of a sudden going rogue and breaking away from their agency and starting their own, and the agent is putting all his hopes and dreams on Jer- Jeremy's... Uh, modeling career and Jeremy at the same time is keeping his fingers crossed that this agent can, can come through and together they form an unlikely bond that's mutually beneficial. Okay. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty good. So you got like runway competitions, you got underground walk-offs like in Zoolander, uh, all the, the really deep nitty gritty stuff that happens in the male modeling world. Is there a catchphrase from the movie? Probably. How about one more? We're, I know, we're putting you on the spot. Uh, what about Silver Lining Spy Shack? Silver Lining Spy Shack. Um... Yeah, I think uh, Silver Lining Spy Shack. I've seen Silver Lining Playbook, and I'm having a hard time making the, the connection, but you'd probably, you know, it would obviously start Tony, because he's the Spy Shack guy. And, uh, and you know, he he's going berserko, similar to the film. And, you know, uh, maybe Tosh is teaching Trish how to be a cheerleader. Ooh. Or, yeah, so he's teaching Trish how to be a cheerleader, and Tony just starts coming around because, you know, he's, he's got a thing for Trish, but he doesn't want her to know, and he's trying to turn his life around from this, this bad breakup with uh, the first idol that he played on LJ. And so he starts coming around, and Trish sucks him into learning how to... Uh, cheerlead as well because they uh, 
you know, it gets their minds off things and stuff. And then they sign up for this competition and it kind of funnels into bring it on for oh, wow. the cheerleading movie. Yeah. So it's really, you're talking about a whole series of films spiraling off of this one uh, silver lining spy shack. <laughs> All right, one one last one. Uh, how about uh, this one? Is kindergarten construction worker? <laughs> kindergarten construction worker. Um, so in kindergarten cop, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a very natural and likely kindergarten instructor. Right. And so here we've got Tony teaching kindergarten, but to what end? You know, as a construction guy, it doesn't seem like there'd be any benefit to teaching kids in kindergarten unless you're trying to institute child labor. So what it could be is him being like, oh, I lost all my crew and I need to get this building built. And it just so happens to be next door to the elementary school. So I'm going to go undercover, unbeknownst to everybody. Actually, what he has to do is he has to go to school, get a degree in elementary ed start teaching in kindergarten. So this is like a four or five year process. Yeah. Start teaching kindergarten, then get those kindergartners to hop the fence during recess and work on this building that is unfinished because he was unable to uh, keep his former employees happy. Yeah. I think so the plot this building for su- yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, so I, th- I think we're onto something. So I think that the plot here in Kindergarten Construction Worker, it's like Tony's on the construction uh, <laughs> job site and he's talking with all the other construction workers and they're sort of like the, the, the construction lot is next to the school and the kids are all yeah. like playing with like blocks and like Legos and they're all building, putting stuff oh, yeah. together all day. And he's like, hey, look at those kids all day long. They play yeah. with blocks. We got to work and break our backs building this building. We should get these kids over here and they'll do the work for free and we'll sit on our back. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll eat and drink all day and then the kids will build for us. And so he needs... And they think they're playing. <laughs> they think <Yeah>. they're playing. <laughs> and then the twist and the at the end... Can, can, yeah, the only way he can control these kids is by becoming their teacher. Right, <laughs> so he has to teach them. And the twist and at the end of the, the movie, the he's not even a construction worker. He was really a cop. And the, that the was entire time. Yeah. There you go. That's genius. Because uh, then it ties into kindergarten cop, because then at the end you're like, mind blown, bro. He was just like Officer Ruffles' face. I wish I had that reference so I could be like, Officer so-and-so in kindergarten cop, my second favorite movie. <laughs> All right. Tyson, are you ready to get into some of the voicemails now from the listeners of Rob as a podcast? I don't think so, but let's do it. (laughs) How's your blood sugar now? Still very good. I ate breakfast like an hour ago. (laughs) I ate breakfast like 15 minutes before we started. An hour ago, we started taking questions from the listeners of Rob as a podcast. Well, time flies when you're having as much fun as we are. We're having fun. Okay. So let's take our first question. This is from Brian, and he wants to compare Wu's position to that of the one and only Jervis Peterson. Here's Brian. Hey, Rob. This is Brian in New York, and I want to know if Tyson thinks that there's a similarity between Wu and Jervis in last season in the sense that Wu has a strong alliance with a big player who he has a solid chance of making it to the end with but doesn't have a chance to win against. 
And if so, do you think that the only way that Wu could win is if he could somehow orchestrate a Tony blindside before the final three and then use that as his argument to win jury votes? Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Thanks. All right. So, Tyson, first off, do you think that's fair? Is Wu the Jervis of this season right now? Um, yeah, probably in some aspect he is. I think, uh, I think both Wu and Jervis deserve more credit than they receive uh, in general. Because Jervis definitely did help me and, and did confirm some of my plans and did come up with a couple things uh, on his own that really pushed us further in the game. And I, I suspect Wu has also done this to a certain degree. You know, when he's decided to flip on Cliff and he's decided to do stuff like that, I'm sure there's, there's more to it. And even next week we see that he's like, we should get rid of Tony a little bit. I feel like he's playing the game to a certain degree in as much capacity as he can. But I don't think it's as, especially from, their point of view, it's not as cut and dry as to who is going to win the game. You know, uh, Wu could very well be saying to himself, people really dislike Tony and that's going to be my opportunity. And I, I think that that's partly what Jervis was seeing when, when he decided to stick with me. Uh, but at the same time, it was like, okay, Jervis gets rid of me, but Jervis is next to go after that. So you have to know, you know, and Wu could be in the same boat. You get rid of Tony, then everybody's like, okay, well, Wu was his right-hand man, and we wanted Wu gone anyways, and now's our chance to get rid of him too. Okay, good answer. Let's go to Matthew Matthew Forsythe, who has a question about, uh, how do you know when it's time to use your idols? What's up, bros? Matt Forsythe here. So excited to have Tyson on the podcast, my favorite survivor and podcast guest ever. Whoa. My question is, Tyson... You're someone that I consider an idol connoisseur. In this season, we've seen a lot of idol mishaps, misplays, and just general craziness with the idols. What I want to know is, is there any knowledge that you can impart upon me about how to play the idol? Are there any signs that tell you when you should play it or when you should not play it? Should you just whip it all out at tribal council or should you keep it a complete secret? Thanks. Bye. Tyson, should you just whip it all out at tribal council? No. You shouldn't. Uh, the idol, I think what you have to do is you have to, before you play it, your alliance needs to know that you're planning on playing it. Uh, not If you're suspicious of somebody or you don't know if somebody's with you, no, but uh, you can't play it without anyone knowing or people start feeling betrayed and like you don't trust them. And so... I think that if you're planning on playing it, like Jervis knew I was going to play as the idol I played because he was my right hand man and I needed him with me and to raise any suspicion or give him any reason to turn on me would have been a bad play. And so, uh, I think you have to let your core people know that you're going to play an idol before you play. You don't have to tell them immediately that you found it, but the tribal council before you play it, I think you do need to let them know. And as far as knowing when to play it, you, uh, you, there's, there's two ways. I think there's only, there's two signs. If everybody's just going along with what you say without giving their own input, without doing anything, it's obvious that they're just, uh, 
placating you and making you feel comfortable, that's a sure sign that things aren't going your way. For example, if you're like, hey, we're still with the plan, right? And people are like, yeah, 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 we're still with the plan. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, we're with the plan. Then you've got to take a step back and be like, that is too easy. Mm-hmm. Because that's the play. That's the play. People want you to feel 100% comfortable. And in their mind, the best way to do that is to say, yeah, we're with you. Yeah, yeah. The plan that you said earlier, that's what we're doing. And so there's that. And then for me, I heard my name mentioned and that was enough to play it the first time because I had never in my previous two times of playing survivor heard that someone was gunning for me. So for me, it was a huge opportunity to say, okay, I hear people are coming for me. I may not get to hear that again while I have the other in my pocket. I may as well play it now. Those are both really great things. The first thing even re- is really, really great. I don't think I've ever heard anybody um, put that into words before, but that's a really, really uh, great point. And just thinking back to my own experience on Survivor All-Stars, when I got blindsided, that is what happened Everybody to me. Everybody was with you. Yeah. Everybody's with you, and they don't want to give you any input or any reason for you to suspect anything. So all they're going to say is, we are with you, and we are doing what you want to do. Yeah. And it's... It's every time. And I do that to be, I did that to people too. And they just didn't catch on, but that's like, it really is the surest sign is when people don't even care to hear what the plan is again. They're just with it. Yeah. That's a good point. Very, very good stuff. Okay. Uh, let's go to, how about this question from Morty? And he has a question about finding the idols. Morty. Hey Rob, it's Morty from New York. I just want to know what you thought about the idol clue. Was it originally supposed to be for the Tyler Perry idol? Or was it always supposed to be for this idol? It seemed like it came from the same tree. But again, a lot of the trees might look the same. Just wanted to know what you thought. Bye. hear a lot of street noise there from Morty. Yeah, he's calling from the street. Maybe that's where he's born and raised. Yeah. All right. So, Tyson, I was thinking the same thing during the episode. Was the idol that Tony found, the third idol, the same tree that he found the second idol at, where he said last week, he's like, that big tree, it looked like it was a spaceship. Yeah, it very well could be. It could have been the same tree. It's interesting that he himself didn't mention it, but... If we go earlier into this podcast, I think the format of the show is already written out before the game starts. And I feel like the only clue people were getting to the secret Tyler Perry idol was that it was hidden near camp and it had secret powers. I don't think they ever intended to give more clues than that. Okay. Because... And so I think because that was the clue and it was for everybody. And it was enough of a clue that somebody should be able to find it. So I think that the clue that Tony won was always intended for a normal hidden immunity idol with normal powers. Well, let me disagree with you there because maybe we could talk through how this makes sense, but I felt like that it was a regular immunity idol put back into the game because Spencer played his immunity idol at the last tribal council. So if Spencer didn't play his idol at that point in the game and Spencer kept it, would we have just had a third immunity idol brought into the game? No, we would have had an advantage to a challenge. Got it. I think... I think that there obviously has to be plan A, plan B, plan C in motion with the production of the show. 
that I just think that that stuff is, is already known. It's already knowledge to production before they get to that point. So I think they probably said, okay, if we need to put a metal in play at this point, then an idle crew is what they get. If the idol is already in play, then they get this advantage to the challenge or there's another idol in play. You know, there's, there's, I think there's, there, cause there's moments like that. It's like, uh, it's like one of those books that you read as a child, child where it's like, if you want this outcome or if you choose this, go to page 44. If you want this, go to page 32. And if you want this, go to page 16. Yeah. Choose your own adventure. You know, yeah. Choose your own adventure. I think that, survivor has to be written like that to a certain degree. The game has to be formatted like that because there are certain, um, uh, how would you say there's certain outcomes that you production just can't predict. So they have to have these, uh, separate plans in, in, in their mind already. So whether they would have put another idol in play or whether it would have been a clue to an actual, or whether it would have been an actual advantage in a challenge, I don't know. It would have been easy to make that uh, that zigzag nazy thing put two balls in the ends already without, you know, and just have to do three or something yeah. like that. Or you just get There's to start at you get all your balls and you don't have to do the rope part of the challenge or whatever. Right. Right. Something like that. Yeah. So or, that's easy enough to do. Yeah. Or your, your, you know, bags of balls aren't tight as tight as everybody else's or something. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause you want, you want your bag loose. Your ball bag has to be loose. <laughs> you gotta have easy access to the balls if you have an advantage. Exactly. Okay. So let's take a question from our buddy. Mikey, the chimp wants to talk about the finale. We're only three weeks away. Can we do some finale predictions? When Probst goes to the audience, it's gotta be Tony's boss. Also, probably a laugh or a clap or some sort of sarcastic audience reaction from Morgan. Rob, hit me. What are your predictions for the finale? All right, Tyson, let's talk finale for... Now, it's going to be on a Wednesday this year. Do you like finale on a Wednesday, or you think they should keep it on Sunday? Uh, I like it on Wednesday because it makes the last finale that was on Sunday, a little more special. Yeah. Ooh. So you and were the last person I, to win survivor on a Sunday. Right. Uh, as far as viewership goes, I don't know. I think three hours of TV on a Wednesday is maybe a little much for most people. Yeah. But maybe not, you know, I, I, I actually have no clue. I think that maybe they, I mean, I'm sure they've crunched numbers and stuff, because networks just don't do things willy-nilly, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out if it increases viewership for the finale or if it decreases or if it doesn't matter if Survivor fans are going to be fans no matter what. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I wonder like what percentage of people say like, oh, I forgot it was on Sunday night, the finale, if they keep it on the regular night that the show is going to be on, whether that helps it or not. Yeah, and I think I actually uh, had friends who don't watch the show regularly and they watch this season and they were like, yeah, I didn't know the finale was on Sunday cause I just been watching every Wednesday. So I'm sure there's a lot of viewers out there like that. People get confused. Okay. So then let's talk about finale predictions. Now, Mikey says he thinks that they're going to talk to Tony's boss. 
at the finale. I don't think that we're going to see Tony's boss, but I feel like we're definitely going to see like, all right, we're going to talk. Construction worker boss, <laughs> his, uh, cock boss, chief of police. I hope that we talk to the kids from kindergarten construction worker. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> no, I don't think his boss is going to be present, right? How many people bring their boss to the finale? Yeah, they did talk to like Philip's coworker, but I feel like we're definitely going to get like we're going to hear from Tony's wife where Jeff is going to be like, then we're going to hear from Tony's wife. What's it like to be married to Tony? We'll find out. So I feel like we're definitely going to get a segment in the audience with Jeff talking about Tony's wife. That could be. I, I mean, those those moments are are. I guess they're not super rare, but they're they're definitely not every season. Well, and so to to go to the audience and an audience member, it's yeah, that's quite the prediction. Okay, so. I would like to come up with, we did the Tony movies thing, uh, last week and this week I think this might be fun to do again. Now this, these could either be a joke or something real, but I want to start a hashtag called finale predictions and let's just come up with things that could potentially happen at the finale. Give me some other ideas of things that could potentially happen at the finale. What if they have the entire pre jury sit on stage? And the jury sit in the audience. <laughs> that that would be that would be a good finale predictions. Um, <laughs> would it would it be a good finale prediction? <laughs> it would be it would be a fun one. Like again, no, I think less interesting would be an actual finale prediction more than uh, fun finale predictions. Right. Yeah. Hashtag fun finale prediction. No, 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 just keep it. Well, we got to, you know, we only have so many characters to work with. Then we're cutting into Uh, your your canvas if we're eating up too many characters. So we'll just keep finale predictions. Um, Okay. Let's see. Can we come up with a finale prediction for Wu? For Wu? Uh, Yeah, we probably can. I mean, he, uh, Jeff will ask him a question. And he'll furrow his brow yeah. and come up with a half nonsensical answer. Yeah. What about if we talk to the real Sonic the Hedgehog at the finale? Oh, dude, that would be dope. <laughs> or the Fox, or the Fox uh, guy that was with Sonic. What was that guy's name? <laughs> oh, um, I, for, I forget his name. Well, at least people know that we nerded out when we were kids, kind of, but not <laughs> to the extent that we know the Fox guy's name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that would that would be fun if we could get some uh, finale predictions, I think. Um, From Sonic? Yeah. Um, like, for instance, like, uh, what if they had, uh, like, Cliff Robinson dunk a basketball on the stage? Um, that'd be pretty cool. Or if he wore his Trailblazers uniform and his headband. <laughs> and then he's like it was like the rip away pants that he comes out on stage Dude, in. This is yeah, this is what we should do. Yeah, he jogs out and then lifts him in the air and it's down. I think that they should have everybody dressed in their work uniform. So like Tony and Sarah both in cop uniforms <laughs> and uh and uh Chris is in his basketball uniform. Spencer is just like in sloppy sweats or whatever students wear these days. <laughs> yeah, Morgan is in like a 49ers cheerleading outfit. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> and uh, Jeff uh, probably just 
wears the same thing she wore on Survivor, like uh, gas station cowboy hat <laughs> and uh, whatever else she had. All right, so all right, we're looking forward to hearing what your finale predictions are. Uh, should be should be very fun. Okay, so let's see. Let's go to how about let's uh, skip around a little bit. Let's go up to Megan Z, who has a question. And let's play Megan. Hey guys, this is Megan Z. I'm thinking you'll get off topic at some point anyway. I was wondering if when you did, you could talk a little bit more about the trip you guys took to the zoo in February. Was Dominic there or was it just three grown men growing down at the zoo? And is this something you normally do when you guys get together? Thanks. Well, I'll have you know, Megan, we were doing uh, research for the screenplay that we're writing for We Bought a Woo. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh... (laughs) Megan, we were with Dominique and Nicole. Yes. So, and any chance that I get to go to a zoo, I'm definitely going to take because I love zoos. Yeah. Tell people what a big animal lover you are because I don't think that, I think that's underreported. Yeah. I will go to a zoo. Like, if I go to a city, the first thing I do is look up zoos and aquariums and, and anything like that. And, and I, it's my favorite thing. And then when I go to the zoo, I look at the map and I figure out the most economical way to go through the entire zoo without missing an animal. Cause I have to walk by every single exhibit. Yeah. And, and me and I go to zoos with a very different approach. For me, I have to see every animal and I can spend more time with the animals I love more or the animals that are entertaining more or whatever. The artist is of a different approach where he has to go and research every animal, even if he only gets three animals into the zoo, he'll be done as long as he read every single plaque that's in front of the animal's uh, enclosure. It's quality versus quantity. Yeah, he's about quality versus quantity, and I'm all about quantity. I paid to see exotic animals uh, and be get up close and you know see them in person and so that's what i'm there to do <laughs> um two things one uh, do you want to talk I about <laughs> yeah flax do you want to talk about how uh this is before the coach podcast how aris wanted to talk to every person that worked at the zoo about blackfish yeah and uh, me and you had a side conversation about it on the side <laughs> look so I've, I've been in multiple arguments with people and this is my stance on blackfish. <laughs> there are some truths in blackfish that humans should be aware of, but please do the research for yourself from all sides and parties involved because it's, not, I mean, what we're seeing with Blackfish is a one-sided biased documentary with a certain agenda. That's not to say that there aren't truths in the film, but there's definitely things that are skewed, and there's definitely another side to the story that we're not hearing. And maybe not even one side, maybe multiple sides. And so I encourage people to keep an open mind and do all the research you can of your own to come up with your own idea and, and things like that. Like I've gotten in multiple arguments like, Oh, okay, well, she was doing this and that. And they are doing some of that stuff, but they also do donate money to 
to uh, the natural habitat of killer whales and things like that. Yes, SeaWorld can improve in many aspects, as can all corporations. And it's just, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't 100% disagree with Blackfish, but it's definitely a skewed opinion and it can't be taken as 100% truth versus nothing else being true. You don't see it as a blackfish and whitefish matter. No, I think that, I think that house of cards on Netflix is as much of a documentary (laughs) as blackfish. (laughs) So that actually happened to house of cards. Yeah. Oh my God. I think that, I think the state of the nation is, (laughs) and the political system is not that far off from what we're seeing in House of Cards. Whoa. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. You you disagree with that? That's, um, (laughs) well, there's some really, do you watch House of Cards? Yes, I do. Oh, could I, yeah, I podcast, but there's some very crazy things that happen on House of Cards. I haven't seen the second season. All right, watch the second season and then we'll, we'll talk. So let's talk about the first, the first season, though. I would say I don't think it's that far of a stretch. Yeah, it's, pro- it's probably you know? not that far of the stretch, but I think it's probably, uh, I think House of Cards is probably a little more interesting than what is actually happening in real life. You think so? I think so. It's, I mean, House of Cards, I think, is a little, it, it gets a little soapy. Then um, I don't know if real life is quite as good. Well, I mean, obviously they're just pulling the best of the best, but if they just pulled the best of the best from the political system and televised that, I don't think we'd be that far off. Okay. Well, maybe somebody will make that documentary. Well, I hope so, but I think there's so many secrets that we probably will never get the full truth. Well, hopefully one day somebody, uh, you know, somebody will tell all the secrets. Yeah. Who <laughs> would that person be? Probably, uh, the Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah. He found out all the secrets as he researched his role. <laughs> and then he reveals them. Uh, that would be awesome. He reveals them. That would be awesome. Watch the second season. That's really good. Okay. I, I will, but only because you told me to. Oh, real quick. I don't want to spend too much more time on the, on the zoo, even though I know you love animals. Could you just tell the story real quick of when we were at the, I guess the orangutan exhibit and they were talking about how the one orangutan had a vasectomy. Oh yeah, and uh, there was a bunch of old ladies there, and and the zookeeper was like, there was like a zoo lady there educating people on orangutans, and we was got into it somehow. Well, and no, you got you got into it because Aris was asking the lady like a million questions about the orangutans, right? And so was he was he asking something specifically about breeding or making babies or something? And she's like, oh, that couldn't happen because. That, that male orangutan actually had a vasectomy. And with families and children present, present, I said, oh, so it doesn't even have to wear condoms. Yeah, I feel like you said because everybody knows that uh, it's, you know, basically that's something along the lines of that, uh, that it would feel better to not have uh, <laughs> to use the condom. Oh, to not have to wear a condom? Yeah. yeah. I think I probably did say that. Yeah, I think I said, oh, it's no better than not to wear a condom if he's <laughs> not to wear a condom now or something like that. And uh, all these, because we went to the zoo in the middle of the day when it's mostly moms and kids. Yeah, and they all looked at me like I was a disgusting human being, <laughs> which I wouldn't completely disagree with them. But it was also pretty funny. 
Yeah, it's very funny. Um, okay, so let's go ahead. Let's take a question from Josh Spaulding. Hey, Rob. Josh Spaulding calling from New Hampshire. I'm wondering, as currently constituted, would this be the most attractive jury ever? Sarah and Morgan and LJ, Jeremiah and Jeffra? It's got to be pretty close if it's not. Uh, anyways, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Bye. Tyson, in your mind, is this the most attractive jury that we've ever had? Um, that's hard to say. I don't think it's the most unattractive jury we've ever had. But uh, at the same time, it's uh, I, I feel like most of the people on Survivor, a good percentage of them, are in that same level of attractiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of the reason people are cast for the show is, is because of their image. And it's not everybody, but it definitely doesn't hurt to be a, an attractive uh, person to a certain degree. So I would say maybe not the most attractive ever, but definitely not the ugliest. Well, look at the people that have been voted out since the merge. Okay, so you had Sarah, and then after Sarah, then it was Morgan, LJ, Jeremiah, and then Jeffra. So basically, four people from the beauty tribe in a row now went out of the game. So that that's pretty good for the resume of this best-looking jury. Yeah, that's pretty good, but at the same time, you and Steven touched on it as well. Uh, the beauty tribe isn't necessarily... They're not necessarily the most beautiful people on the season, they just were put on that track. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Your season had a pretty good-looking jury. I'm trying to remember. Uh, so the jury start. You have both of the uh, Bushkowskis brothers. Bushkowskis. Okay, yeah. and then you have uh, you know Sierra and Laura. Uh, no slouches yes. there. You have you have Katie as well. You have Hayden, and then yeah. there's there's you know Caleb is there also. Um, Anthem. Yes. Um, He's a burly sort of guy. And then yeah. uh, I'm trying to think of, is I'm missing somebody also. Probably. Oh, Tina. Then I guess so you have Tina there. So that's a pretty good looking jury. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty good looking jury, actually. I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe this jury's given us a run for our money. But, but you know, and even now there's even thinking of, of token genes and even heroes versus villains and probably your seasons. But the bulk of the jury is usually pretty attractive, especially after being on an island and starving for yeah. you know, three or four weeks and slimming down and leaning up and getting tan and uh, you know, and then on top of that, shaving your face or or putting makeup on when you haven't for so long. And and most of the time, when you see a person sit on the jury for the first time inside the game, you're kind of like, whoa, that person looks good. Yeah. A few other things there. Uh, one, I think Tribal Council Light is pretty flattering overall. Uh, two, yeah. you know, for the most part, the people on Survivor are probably, if you took 16 or 20 random people on the street, you're pro- your Survivor cast is probably going to be better looking than those people. And plus, we're going to vote out like the old and weak looking people first, typically. Earlier on. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. And then the jury you're going to start voting out the people you think are correct because they're even more likable or something like that. And a lot of times, you know, someone who has the confidence to be attractive 
is more likable. Yeah, and have his muscles. And so typically, juries are good-looking groups. Yeah. So I would say if you've ever been on a jury in Survivor, there's like a 90% chance that you're hot. And, and that's exactly why that you become imminently more dateable if you can make a jury because you're right. good looking. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, the more times you make a jury, obviously the better looking you are as a human being. Yeah. Obviously. Does that make Rupert the handsomest man in the world? No. Well, how many th- that he made the jury, three, I guess three times. Yeah. But then he got voted off first. So something happened there. Yeah, I mean, he's past his prime. <laughs> he's past his prime. Okay, let's go to a question. Here's uh, Daniel Ladiano. Here we go. Hey, Robin Tyson. Here's my question. Since Jeffro was the very last beauty member to be out of this game, does that mean that beautiful people are the worst Survivor players? I mean, obviously, Tyson won, so that kind of uh, throws a wrench in the plan. But still, tell me what you think. Take care. <laughs> Tyson, do beautiful people are, are beautiful people bad at Survivor as a general rule? No, but if you're casting people based solely on their looks, which again we've already determined that this season is not 100% about that, but there are aspects of it. I, I think that you are, you know, like Morgan. She comes in. She's like, I've always had everything handed to me because I'm beautiful and I never really had to deal with much. And so you do definitely hit, you know, then at that point it's like, okay, well, maybe you're not a fan of the show. Maybe you don't know how the game goes. Maybe you expect the game to be easy for you because you have always gotten things easy or whatever it is. So I think, uh, I think that that's part of it this season. Okay, let's go to Brent Purvis. And Brent wants to know about playing with some of these people from this season. Here's Brent. Hey, Robin Tyson. This is Brent from Hamilton. Tony and Spencer are the obvious standouts this season and most likely to return for an all-star. My question to both of you is, if either of you guys were asked back and were placed in the same season as one of them, who would you prefer to be playing against between Tony and Spencer? whether it be because you think you can beat them easier or you could team up with them, whatever your reasons are, I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that and what you guys have to say. Thanks a lot. All right, Tyson, if you came back to the show, who would you rather play with, Tony or Spencer? Um, I would have to wait till the end of the series to decide that because I would prefer to play with someone who's only ever won the game of Survivor. <laughs> Really, because uh, they don't know how hard the game is. For example, you know, if you played once and you won the game, that means things went your way, and in the end you won. And if you're Spencer and you end up winning, you say, hey, even though I was on the bottom, I still got to the end because, you know, I played a great game or because I got lucky or something like that. And it's the same with Tony. Oh, all my plans worked out, so obviously I played it 100% to perfection. And the problem you have with that is you don't know truly how hard the game is. And I don't think you know how hard the game is until you get voted out. And uh, we saw that with RS last season. You know, we see it with we see it with returning winners constantly. Other than Sandra, people don't know, especially when you win, because. When I look back and I say, oh, I won bread versus water, that was easy to win because everything worked out for me. Right. But if 
But I knew from past experiences that the shred is brutal and that anything can happen at any moment. And I have to be prepared to slit throats whenever possible. And that's something that winners don't take fully into account. They think they do, but they say, hey, I was there with these people and I told people to do this and they did it. And so I'm just going to do that same thing this time. And they kind of are blinded to the fact that other people are playing against them. No, that's a really, really great point. And I would even say for myself, I think that was true because in Survivor of the Amazon, really everything went, like every break went my way up until the end. And while I didn't win, you know, I easily could have, but I got to the final three and basically Jenna won the last challenge and didn't take me. But as far as I could get myself, I got myself and I didn't have a problem. And I didn't, I didn't know going into Survivor all-stars what it was like when you're the target because i was never even voted for in survivor the amazon until like day 35 or day 36 so i really didn't know what it felt like to have everybody plotting against you and to be able to you know how do you know when your number is up and so i feel like if i was to play a third time i do feel like that i would you know definitely now having that experience where i failed in my you know, bag of clubs or my experience, I think that would actually make me a better person at the game than I was going into my second time where I only knew success. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it's, I mean, it's exactly right. It's, it's, uh, I think what it is, is when you win, you don't realize that you have to do whatever it takes to win the game because you didn't have to do whatever it takes because things worked out for you. Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody who's lost so many times like me in the past, I was like, I'm cutting anybody's throat if I feel like I have to, no matter how close I am to them, no matter how good of friends we are, no matter what, everything is strategic and I'm going for it no matter what. And that's why the RS blind side works partly because I had felt the sting of failure multiple times before and realized that even though RS is my friend, it's, that's the time to get rid of him. Whereas he thought everybody's with me and everybody is a fool to be with me, but the only thing I've ever known is success. And so I don't have that next level of cutthroatness that I need to further myself in the game. And it's, I mean, things could have worked out for us the same, and he still would have been blind to the fact that that's not the way it always goes, but they didn't work out this time, and he definitely wasn't prepared for that extra level of, of you know, willingness to slit someone close to his throat. And so I think a uh, returning winner is always going to be the person you want to play against. Tyson, do you want to hear a wrong number that I got on my voicemail? Yes. <laughs> okay, this is this is pretty funny. All right, here is a wrong number that I came into the voicemail line. Shirley Devine, please call Katie at 601-002. This call is regarding Mr. Ronald. Thank you. All right, so Mr. Ronald, if you're listening, uh, that's, that call came in for you. Okay, let's all call her and leave a message for her on behalf of Mr. Ronald. No, I'm gonna bleep out I'm gonna bleep out the number, but uh, I mean <laughs> Yeah. 
Isn't that like, because if you've ever called my voicemail, it is a ridiculous message where it's like, coming to you live from my voicemail. Like, how did somebody... Maybe Mr. Ronald's in trouble financially or something, and that's the number he's giving out. He's a RHAP fan, and he's like, that's the only number I have memorized. I'm going to give it out as my own whenever I need to. Like, you know, he's probably like, if, he gets, if the cops are like, what's your name? We need your name and your number and stuff. He's like, my name's Rob Sester Nemo. Here's my phone number. Here's my address. Here's my this and this. And then... Uh, well, let's, here, let's listen to that again. Let's see if Mr. Ronald is in trouble. Hold on. Shirley Devine, please call Katie at 60-002. This call is regarding Mr. Ronald. Thank you. Okay. So, no, so it's Shirley Devine is getting the phone call uh, regarding Mr. Ronald. Okay. So it's Mr. Ronald. He's, this is what happened. He's applying for a new job, and he had to put references down, but he had none. And he figures most people don't really call all the references that you put down. So like at number like eight or nine or ten, he made up a name or named put a Rob friend, Cicernino. but had their number on them. They had your number, so it was like, I just put this number. They're never going to check this deep down into the references. All right. Uh, so that's a mystery. We'll have to figure out what what exactly happened there. Um, all right. So... Let's go ahead and let's take a, another call here. So I don't know if you like talking about these conspiracy theories. This is one from Josh in New York. And so Josh has a conspiracy theory about the auction. Hey, Rob, it's Josh from New York. I'm obsessed with like the conspiracy theories with the production and all that stuff. And since they know Tony's plan at the auction and probably Spencer's plan at the auction predicated on the uh, you know, confessionals that they hear. Do you think they had a contingency plan from the get-go? In other words, do you think if Spencer had yelled out $500, they would have just handed him the advantage? But if Tony yelled out $500, they had this plan B to go with the rocks, knowing that obviously the game would be much more you know, intricate and better and more potential moves if Spencer had gotten that idol. Curious as to your thoughts. Thanks for everything you do. All right. So, Tyson, I'll give you two options to answer this question. A, you could just answer directly this question, or B, I'll let you just have an open forum to speak to all the conspiracy theory people. Let's talk to all the conspiracy theory people. Okay. This is... This is me, and this is what I have heard personally and been under the impression and being there in the game. I mean, we've already touched on it so many times. I believe the format of the show is already decided before the game even starts, regardless of who's still in the game, regardless of any of that stuff. Obviously, there's parts where, you know, if there's already an idol in play, they have to do something different and things like that. But I think that even those steps are already decided before the game has, has started. And uh, it's it's the only fair way the game could be operated. And unless the show would lose integrity if not everyone that signed up to play the show had a fighting chance to win the show. Okay. 
Fair enough. All right, let's go through a couple more voicemails here uh, before we get to inappropriate comments. Okay, here's EJ in Massachusetts wants to talk about whether you prefer reward challenges or Redemption Island. Hey, Robin Tyson. This is EJ calling from Massachusetts, and I have a question about reward challenges. Each week I find myself less and less interested in each reward challenges as I have no real vested interest in anything to root for. I don't think anyone was on the edge of their seat thinking, oh my god, I hope Wu gets those ribs. At least in a Redemption Island season, we get to see players battling in a duel. My question for both of you would be, would you rather see a season with Redemption Island duels or continue this formula of boring reward challenges? I personally, though, would like to see more strategy chop, but would love to get your thoughts on it. Thanks. Bye. Tyson, what do you prefer as a viewer? As a viewer, you know, there is an aspect of uh, Redemption Island that I like in that it's, you know, you're, it, you're in the game only by the skin of your teeth and you're fighting to stay alive in the game. The things I don't like about it are obviously the blow at Tribal Council isn't as hard because people are like, oh, I'll just go to Redemption Island and then at least I have Plan B there. And then... uh the other is that I think the reward challenges, for the most part, mix up the game or have the potential to mix up the game. When you win a reward challenge and have to choose two people, who are you choosing? Are you choosing someone that's not in your alliance that you want to align with? Are you choosing someone who usually stirs up trouble so that they don't stir up trouble? Are you choosing your two closest allies? I think that that gets played or gets misplayed really often and it does stir up things. I think there's a way that if the reward challenges are done right, which they often are in the fact that you have to choose somebody to go with but can't give it to everybody, then uh, then they've served their purpose. Yeah. I agree. I think that the reward challenges are better than the Redemption Island. The Redemption Island is probably more exciting, but I tell you, I love getting to do the exit interviews when somebody gets voted out and then I talk to them the next day. That, that's so much more fun for me than to do. And I, I think it's fun for the viewers too. Then it's like somebody's voted out, but they're in limbo. And then, okay, now we'll talk to them next week. And then you're hearing people like they get to Ponderosa like two weeks after they got voted out and stuff like that. Right. No, and I, I would I would agree with you there. I do think that the blood versus water scenario, as many of the viewers have voiced, is one of the few times that Redemption Island really worked well. And because they have the aspect of being able to switch or or not or or things like that. And I think it worked well that season, but I think in general the reward challenges are probably the way to go. And I feel like it worked really well pre-merge. If you're going to do it, I feel like do it pre-merge and then stop it once you get to the merge. Yeah, I mean, I, that would be, they haven't been a season like that before. Yeah, well, I invented it. Well, you invented it, yeah. I, I, I think that the, I mean, you could do that. That would, yeah, and then throw the reward challenges in after, after yeah. the merge. Sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's something. You can do that, too. Yeah. All right. I say either go forward with redemption or don't have it at all. Okay. Well, you're the opposite of how you feel about blackfish. I see it as a, as <laughs> yeah. a gray fish issue. Yeah. You're, okay. I, I see. Yeah. You see it as a gray fish issue and I see it as black or white fish. <laughs> but, uh, 
I, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to ending Redemption Island uh, one or two steps earlier, maybe, where the person returning actually has a chance to jump on the Minority Alliance and make a change. Okay. All right, so let's do uh, two more voicemails. Here is one from, this is John, and John is from Harrison. Okay, here we go. Here's here's John. Hey, Rob, this is John from Madison. Just want to get your and Tyson's opinion on having a final two this season. Based on the number of weeks that we have left, it seems like if we're going in with six next week, week after that we'll be at five, and going into the finale we'll be at four. It would be kind of interesting to have a final two. Last time this happened was in Token Change when Tyson was on. Thanks. So that might have been John in Madison. We'd have to go back and take a listen. Uh, but in Survivor Token Sheens, it was a final two that season. Did they tell you guys, hey, this is a final two this season? No. It was always like, is it final two? Is it final three? Is it final two? Is it final three? And then you kind of figured it out. You can kind of tell by how many weeks you have left versus how many people are there or how many days you have left versus how many people are there. And you can tell a lot of times by how many people are on the jury. If there's an even amount of people on the jury, that's probably not going to be a final two, would be the logical thinking, because there would be a greater chance for a split vote, which we've never had a split winner. Would they split the money, or would they each get a million dollars? Oh, if it was a tie. Um, I yeah. kind of feel like that, hmm, interesting. If we had four, if it was a final two, and then it had a four, four, that would be interesting. Yes. So I'm thinking that if it's a final two, they need they won't have an even number of jurors. They'll have an odd number of jurors. Okay, so right now that Jeffra became the fifth member of the jury right now. Okay, and there's six people left in the game. So if it was a fi- if it was a final two, that would mean that four more people must leave the game to be a nine person jury in a final two. Does that make sense? Yep. So that could be. So it could be a final two. But also a final three, it doesn't matter how many people are on the jury because either way, you could have a, you could have a tie or not. So if you have eight, eight jurors in a three and, and two people get four votes or two people get, or two people get three votes and one person gets two votes, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to avoid that there's a less likelihood that it will happen. Got it. And I feel like with there's at least two more Survivor Wednesdays until we get to the finale. So yesterday was the 30th, so we'll have a new episode on May 7th, and then we'll have another episode okay. on May 14th. That should get us down to four. And that is signs are pointing to a final four final going into the finale, and then you would think we would need to have two people voted off to get to uh, a final two in the finale. So that might be an interesting... Um, wrinkle to this season. Right, unless they spend an hour getting to the first vote off. Yeah, where they did in Survivor Philippines, they did a challenge where like Malcolm was like, had to want an advantage in the challenge and then he blew it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, signs kind of point to a final two, right? Signs are pointing to a final two, but until we hear final two, we cannot assume yeah, and I was always under the impression that the final two format was disliked by at least some part of production because more often than not, it was a good player and a goat going to the end. Yeah, and it was too clear cut a victory for the one. Well, what's worse, having a good player and one goat, or a good player and two goats? 
Uh, a good player in one go, <laughs> probably. So I don't know. We've had. Yeah, we've had I, mean, I think. I think actually a good player in two goes is better. Okay. There's still more chance that. I mean, you saw. I'm not calling Monica or Jervis good by no. any means. No. But there were definitely a lot of people in the Monica camp who were thinking she was going to win. Okay. And, and by the Monica and camp, so I, you mean Brad Culpepper? Yes, I mean Brad Culpepper. <laughs> no, I think there were definitely people who were like, Monica deserves to win, and she, I think she'll win because she won three challenges or, or this or that. And, and I, I think when you have three, even if there is two goats, the story can be spun a little bit or can be told to make it seem more like a nail biter than it's actually going to be. Okay. All right. Let me play one more voicemail and then we'll get to inappropriate clips. This is from Ron Chan. Ron, last voicemail. Hi, it's Ron from Toronto. Robin Tyson, what has a better chance of happening? Wu winning Survivor? Or us getting a sequel to Piranha 3 Double D. And by the way, <laughs> Rob, are you still waiting on that care package from Jatia? Yes, I am. I still have not gotten a care package from Jatia. Maybe she's going to deliver it personally at the finale. Better chance, Wu win Survivor or we get a Piranha 3 Triple D? Well, I think it's inevitable that we're going to get a Piranha 3 Triple D. See, I feel like, like we, it would happen already if we were going to get that. Like, Sharknado is only waiting like a year in between Sharknados. Yeah, but this is only Sharknado 2. Yeah. You know, maybe the third one, the third installment's going to take a little bit longer. Because okay. we are already on Piranha 2, Double D, whatever it was. 3D, yeah. 3DD. So I think, uh, I. I feel like the third Piranha installment may may come. Okay, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. Survivor, yeah. What do you think? Who would we have to go to the end with to win? <laughs> Cass and Trish uh, for Wu. I would have to say Cass and Trish are everybody's best bet. Yeah, I think so. And he basically would need a um, you know Cass and Trish to really piss off some people along the way, also. Yeah. Okay. And maybe, maybe if he gets credited with Tony's and Spencer's blind side, then that would be well for him. Yeah. So, do you think that the Sharknado thing helps the Piranha thing? Um, I think there's a market out there for terrible movies with the right amount of nudity. Yes. And I, I, Piranha is definitely that format. Okay. All right. So I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's out of the realm. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I said this once. I this podcast that worse movies have been made. <laughs> yeah, and I've been involved involved with some of them. <laughs> okay. Uh, P.S. Uh, I'm not plugging this for any other reason than it's awesome. The film Coach was in 180. Yes. Is on Amazon Prime. Oh, you can watch it for free live stream. You can stream it from Amazon Prime. Okay, there you go. So that is fantastic news. All right, Tyson, I don't know if you've been, how closely you've been following the podcast this season, but we've been trying to pull a lot of the inappropriate clips uh, this season from the show. And last week there were so many, uh, we had to do a top five most inappropriate moments from the show this past week. And then this week, again, followed suit. I have a top five for you. 
Okay. Okay. Now, of course, we're going to start off number five. Now, Tony uh, very famously found the idol this season, and this was Tony when he found his first immunity idol this season. This is huge. I needed this. Ooh. 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 Okay. Okay. We all remember. We all remember that one. Okay. And then that was Tony when he found the first immunity idol. And then so last week, here was Tony when he found the Tyler Perry idol. Oh, Oh my God. Wow. I love you so much, man. (laughs) All right. And so our number. Yeah. And so our number five most inappropriate comment actually comes Tony finding idol number three this season. Here is uh, inappropriate comment number five. Come to Papa. I love you so much. <laughs> so, Tyson, did you ever say to the idols, I love you so much? No, I never did say that, but uh, it doesn't mean I wasn't feeling it. Yeah. Come to Papa. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, I don't even know what you would call that. There's got to be a word for having a sexual relationship with an immunity idol. It's not, ne- it's not necrophilia. Idolphilia? Idolphilia, maybe. But I guess that would uh, be as good a guess as any. Come to Papa! Uh, okay, <laughs> here we go. Uh, this is now uh, number four from last night. This comes to us from Jeff Probst. He he had a good night last night. Here's here's Jeff Probst with the number four most inappropriate comment of the night. Tony goes crazy and knocks his balls all over the place. Okay, well, that's one of the signs of going crazy when you knock your balls all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Tony goes crazy and knocks his balls all over the place. Have you ever knocked your balls all over the place, Tyson? Um, yeah, but not on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Were you going crazy when you did it? Probably. Yeah. I typically go crazy after I knock my balls all over the place. In a self-depreciating type of way? <laughs> yes. Like, there's two ways to do it. It's like, oh, I'm angry at myself. I knock my balls all over the place. Or yeah. I accidentally knock my balls all over the place, and now I'm going crazy because go- of it. I'm going crazy. I'm, I'm mad at myself. Um, yeah. All right. Here we go. Here's uh, number three. Jeff Probst uh, talking about Spencer. Spencer now on the maze with his balls. Okay. He's on. He's on the maze with, his, the balls. Maze with his balls. Okay. Yep. All right. Now we talked about this very way back, like four hours ago, uh, in the in the auction. Jeff Probst and Wu have a very intimate moment over a plate of ribs. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's just immaculate, all in my mouth. Go for it. Tender, sushi, lathered in barbecue flavorful. <laughs> Easy work. Wow. That's how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, it seems like the Survivor editors are steering into the curve here. Yeah, I think they, uh, they saw an opportunity and they took it. You know, it's, it, the Survivor editors have never been accused of not having a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just even like Jeff Probst is into it. Yeah, I think it's... it's Jeff Probst has to be into it. It's like so much... Like, I remember Survivor Token Teams, 
the best one I ever had towards me, I think, was Tyson taking a huge load. <laughs> and then did you go crazy? Just like, yeah, I didn't go crazy all over my balls or whatever. <laughs> I just was, uh, yeah, I, he just said Tyson taking a huge load. And in my mind, I was like, Lukaki. <laughs> All right. And this was my personal favorite, most inappropriate line from last night. This is uh, Jeff Probst again from the Immunity Challenge. Can she maneuver it around the other balls into that outside hole? Okay. <laughs> Tasha trying to maneuver maneuver it uh, around the other balls into the outside hole. Yeah. I think when they're, when they're coming up with the challenges, uh, John Kerr and Co. have to be like, there's not enough balls in this one. It's not going to be enough ammunition for <laughs> Jeff to really get those sexual innuendos in there. Because they're, they're good every time, you know. You know, it's always so-and-so knowing how to handle their balls. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's Tasha one more time. Can she maneuver it around the other balls into that outside hole? The outside hole is the most difficult to maneuver. It's very difficult, yeah, especially when there's balls in the way. Okay. All right. Uh, real quick, Tyson, here is uh, some of the best of survivors on social media. Have you been live tweeting the show? Uh, no, I keep threatening to him and I never do. <laughs> You've been quiet this season. All right. Yeah. Uh, Spencer tweeted last night, it's okay, hashtag chaos cast. I forgive you for not saving me. Oh, wait, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then Cass, okay. Cass said, uh, Tony's estrogen saved you this time. So there you go. Okay. I uh, get it. I, I get what she did there. Yeah. Um, and so uh, then we had uh, from I'm trying to I'm trying to only give you the uh, the the really good ones. Uh, Spencer, so we're assuming Spencer and Chaos Cast don't appreciate each other in real life. Does not seem like it. Um, okay. Spencer tweeted uh, yet another hashtag Survivor record biggest loser in Survivor auction history. Please hold the applause. There you go. Okay. Self appreciating. Um, Cast tweeted. Uh, I so love at young woo 23, always bringing the levity. So Cass is a fan of woo. Yeah. She was probably slightly aroused by the rib eating. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is the only way she can really voice it. Yeah. Cass, maybe Cass is looking for a, uh, a big uh, plate of ribs. Yeah. Uh, ribs in quotation. It's just immaculate all in my mouth. There you go. All right, so let's give you a couple of other tweets. Uh, not a ton of great ones uh, last night. Uh, Morgan was sad to see Jeffra Bland go home tonight, but loved her company at Ponderosa. See you soon, girly. So she's, ex- she's excited to see her at the finale. Yeah, I think that uh, you didn't have to share that one with me. Probably not. Um, have you been following at all <laughs> Tony's um, graphic novels on uh, basically that he has like illustrations of him that are drawn? Uh, no, but his profile picture is an illustration. I noticed, but I haven't. I haven't been following. Do you have a graphic novel that uh, basically every writer. every week there's like a new Tony comic panel that's released, and so this week it says uh, "King of the Jungle," and then it's Tony with two idols around his neck. 
Yeah, that sounds great. And so he tweets huge, all caps, shout out to all my Team TV fans. And for the haters, uh, this here's for you. Hashtag keep on hating. Hashtag pain. Hashtag more pain. Well, he seems to uh, be getting a grasp on social media, you know. The, <laughs> the more hashtags, the better. I think that's a rule we can all agree with. When you have a chance, you should take a look at Tony's uh, uh, illustrations that he posts about himself. Do you think he draws them up himself? I don't know. He basically... He's paying someone. Yeah, he like he has like the physique of uh, basically a... Uh, Ultimate Warrior. Like He-Man. Yes. He like He-Man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm familiar. I've seen the one and I'm like, he's a lot dirtier on TV than he is in these illustrations. <laughs> yeah. He's really uh, very, uh, pretty, pretty muscular in these. Um, and then Vetus, uh, he tweeted, uh, and in the end, clearly beauty is an important currency in Survivor. Good game at Jeffra Bland. You're a class act. So, uh, yeah, always want to go with this one. Always tweeting uh, to the ladies, Vetus. He's never tweeting, uh, you know, hey, Tony, uh, way to go. V- very much uh, always, uh, whenever, whenever the women get voted off. You just love the ladies. <laughs> yeah. I said last week they let a fox in the hen house with the survivor. Um, Abby, yeah, sure <laughs> Abby Maria, she tweeted, I know you love Abby Maria. She said, I love how, how Tony Velachos is flaunting his idol like a jewelry salesperson. Is that what you thought it was like? Um, I, I haven't done enough jewelry shopping to know if that's how jewelry salesmen are. Oh. I would assume she was kind of going for the used car salesman and watch. Yeah. Maybe comparison. Now, is, is, that, is that what we think she's shooting for? Is that bad news for Rachel that you don't go jewelry shopping often? Well, I think maybe it's just the places we shop for jewelry <laughs> may be different. Yeah. All right. Now, this is the probably the best stuff of, of the night. Okay. So, Russell Hans, he's had a love-hate affair with Tony all season long on Twitter. Uh, he First, he said... A uh, great play by at Spencer BGM for planting that seed of paranoia and saving himself. Okay, so he gives Spencer props. Then he tweets to Tony, you can imitate but never duplicate at Tony underscore Vlacho. So those are very strong words for Twitter. Um, is he saying? Is he saying that... I'm assuming he's trying to make the point that Tony is copying his yes, game. Yes. But he almost sounds like he's saying Tony is one of a kind. You're never going to be able to copy Tony <laughs> oh. or duplicate Tony. Well, he needs to clarify that. Maybe because Russell didn't use any hashtags. I feel like maybe that would have helped. Yeah. yeah. Did he use punctuation? Mm, all, yeah, they're pretty good, I have to say. That for Russell, okay. I'd give this an A+. Plus. Um, and lastly, from Russell, he tweeted... I don't see at Tony Vlachos lasting past the first vote with the big boys. Hashtag all stars. Hashtag survivor. Uh, I think that's false. I think uh, to not be the first boot, you pretty much just have to not be annoying. You have to be personable enough. And that's all that, that's really all it takes to get past the first boot unless there's a hidden agenda uh, like maybe with all the all winners on the first all stars or, 
or something like that, if somebody has a personal vendetta against you, regardless of who you are as a person, it usually just comes down to, you know, being personable. Yeah. Don't you think it's a mistake you know, I think, for, for Tony and, and Russell to target each other in an All-Stars? Wouldn't it make much more sense for those two guys to work together? Well, is, is Russell saying that if they played together, he would target them? Or yes. Tony I, I, that's, he would be the first boot? No, I think that Russell is saying here that if he played with Tony, he's coming after Tony. Um, yeah, I mean, but a lot of what Russell does is just for show, too. So I think that he's maybe trying to create hype in hopes that... A Tony versus Russell. Versus Tony. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that also. Which, which I would not be opposed to producing a show that is just those two wrestling week after week. <laughs> yeah. All right. That would be great. The scenario is like, okay, we're going to do mud wrestling this time. Okay, now we're going to do hot air bikini wrestling. Okay, this, this time they're going to do... And just have a whole fight season of those two just grappling. Okay, well, that would be fan- that would be fantastic. I'd watch that. Okay, so Jason DeLima put that all stuff together. So uh, great job by Jason. All right, Tyson, we've reached uh, the end of this journey, sadly. That is sad. Now, here's what I want you to answer for me, though. Um, I want people to tell us if they've made it to the end of this marathon podcast on Twitter. And so I have some options for you. And you could go off the board also. This will be good practice for when you are the head of uh, the Utah family on Family Feud, okay? Here are the steals that uh, have been suggested to you, okay? Okay. You have to go with one of them. All right. So uh, one, 100 Survivor Promise Podcast fan surveyed. Uh, top three answers on the board. Okay, name the hashtag that people are going to tweet to Robin Tyson to let them know they finished this episode. Okay, uh, Dawn Meehan yells out, Cheapo Depot. Okay. Okay. Rick the Cowboy yells out, hashtag Grayfish. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jonas Atsuji. Uh, he sh- he shouts out the hashtag Archie Mania. Yeah, he seems like he would do the Archie Mania <laughs> type of guy. And uh, Nalia uh, shouts out, "Come to Papa!" All right, so or you can go off the board. You can go in your own uh, way. All right, so so now, uh, all right, Tyson, what's it going to be? Well, I like hashtag Grayfish. Yeah, I think that's very clever. But I also feel like hashtag at Tyson Apostle would be pretty good because we have the hashtag and the at in there, plus it's my name. So I would imagine that I would get like a hundred or two hundred more thousand followers on Twitter. Okay, so now if you if you if your uh, name is already in there, it's already in there. So yeah, I don't think you- hashtag at Tyson Apostle would still be cool, right? <laughs> So you got to put a hashtag in front of Ad Tyson Apostle. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, if you if somebody is doing that, that's pretty that's pretty unusual. We'll know that they made it this far. Yeah, that's like a double whammy. Wait, are people and not following you on to- on Twitter already? This, I mean, the people that are listening to the show, they're all they're all Survivor fans. You were just on the show. I can't imagine that they're not following you. Well. But if they tweet to their friends and their friends tweet to their friends <laughs> oh, and their friends fair. tweet to their friends and I'm on the top of the pyramid, imagine, bro. <laughs> imagine. All right. Uh, you never you never stop. That's why you're a Survivor winner. 
Yeah, exactly, dude. Okay. One step ahead of everybody. All right. Well, Tyson, I can't thank you enough for sitting here uh, for a good three hours uh, talking nonsense with me. There are very few people in this entire world who would do this with me. And uh, that number is a, a very, very small group. Well, I'm glad to be part of it. We spent more than three hours together at the zoo, so yes, this we, isn't much after that. But very few people would sit and actually talk to me for three hours. So, well, I hope I wasn't too boring because I know I got a little serious about the game actually in the beginning. So people are going to be listening and being like, where are the jokes? No, but you know what? This podcast is like the Today Show where, you know, I try to keep it serious in the first hour and then it becomes, uh, you know, by the end of that show, they're like drinking wine at like 10 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, it just like uh, as, you know, I feel like as like the show goes on longer, I feel like uh, people get worn down and aren't looking for the serious talk in the third hour. So the seriousness is okay in the first hour. Yeah, we're sort of like in the first hour where um, we're like Matt Lauer talking about like, uh, all right, let's talk about like what's going on uh, in Russia today. And then, uh, you know, then we're like Kathy Lee and Hoda by the time we get to this point. Okay. That, I, I, you're the expert, Rob, so I'm assuming that that's the way it's going to be. All right. And if you so. have an issue with the format, let us know. Hashtag at Tyson Apostle. Yeah, hashtag at Tyson Apostle. I'm pretty excited to see this hashtag blow up. Okay, good. Well, I hope we get a good response. Uh, this We have gone... I, I, is this a record? It's got to be a record, Rob. It's over three hours. All right. Well, Tyson, thank thank you uh, so much. And uh, if there's, is there anything that we didn't uh, talk about that you want to get out there? Probably, but we can do that later. All right, at some other time. All right. Tyson, thanks so much, buddy. Take care. Yeah, you too. I love you, Rob. Love you too. Bye. I love you. I know you do. Come to Papa. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right, everybody. There you have it. That was Tyson Apostle back here on Rob Has a Podcast. I hope this lived up to any expectations that you may have had because I thought Tyson did a really, really great job. And I believe this is the first time ever that one of these podcasts has crossed the three-hour mark, at least for a survivor. I'm wondering maybe if the Save by the Bell podcast I did with Eric Stein might be in this ballpark, and that was like in 2011. But certainly, this is a record-setting show as far as Survivor recap shows go. So congratulations. You have been a part of history here today, and I thank you. Thank you. Um, so... Let me just uh, wrap things up. We had another great week here on Rob as a podcast. On Tuesday night, we did our first ever Rob has a patron cast, which is the once a month show I do for the patrons of Rob has a podcast. And I thought that was really, really fun. We took phone calls and I answered any questions that anybody had for me. And there were some good ones on that show. So if you are a patron and you want to check out that show, that's available for you. If you check your message on Patreon. I sent the link out to everybody over there. And again, if you want to find out more about the benefits of becoming a patron between the monthly show and the Facebook group and there's some other stuff, if you want to check that out, you can go to robhasawebsite.com slash patron. This week coming up, we have a, another big week of shows. We have, of course, Big Brother Canada is starting to wind down. The Big Brother Canada finale is one week from today, which is going to be 
May 8th. So we'll have a Big Brother Canada finale coverage. Then we'll also continue to coverage the amazing race All-Stars as well. So it should be another fun week of podcasts next week. Our guest on the Survivor Podcast. You know how I like to do it at the end of these seasons. It just seems to always work out this way. I like, we get to a certain point and it's like the end game and I just want to talk to people who went all the way and I want to talk to winners. So we're going to go next week. We're going to talk to the original Survivor winner, Richard Hatch, next Thursday on Rob Has a Podcast. So hope you'll join us for plenty of shows between now and then. Make sure you're subscribed and locked in. Go to robhasawebsite.com slash iTunes for the iTunes feed or click the podcast tab to see any of the shows that we do in all the different ways that you could subscribe. Have a great weekend, everybody. And join us for Game of Thrones on post-show recaps after the episode. Talk to you later. Bye. I'm Leah Beth, and I'm a Rob Has a Podcast patron because it's a better bargain than a steak sandwich in a Survivor auction. Hey, my name's Andrew Brockman, and I am a Rob Has a Podcast patron because without RHAP, I would flip harder than Tony this season. Hey, this is Randy Rice from Port Washington, New York, and I became a patron because I need rehab more than I probably needed to uh, vote out Spencer last night because uh, 100 idols won't save me in a final tribal against Spencer.